Hello, welcome to episode 129 of Riot Act, the alternative music podcast. With me, yes, it is me, Stephen Hill, and him, of course, Renfrey Deadman. Hello, Renfrey, how are you? I'm very well, Steve. How are you? Good, mate. Very, very good. And very delighted. It's not only is it episode 129 of Riot Act, it's also episode 13 of the Hellbent for Metal podcast with our very good friend, excellent journalist and host of said podcast, Mr. Tom Dare, doing a legit crossover. Tom, how you doing, man? I am very well, thank you, Steve. Uh, I am quite thrilled to be here, to be honest. This has been something that we've been talking about for yeah. literally years now, and we finally made it happen. I know, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm very, very much looking forward to it. Uh, we have legitimately been talking about doing this for fucking ages, I think. Um, yeah. Probably going back to when Riot think, Act first was a thing. Yeah, I think I your gonna... episode about three... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think you've been within our sights since right at the beginning, pretty much. So this has been a long time coming. I'm here, lads. You don't have to sell it any harder. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember but within our sights as if it makes it seem kind of like a little bit threatening, to be honest. But we're not <laughs> we're not we're not here to threaten. We are no. gonna be doing new music on the show this week from Stephen Wilson, Tribulation, Martin Gore, Accept and Divide and Dissolve Plus. From Tom, we're going to be chatting a few things Ramstein as well later on, aren't we, Tom? We are. We have uh, one of the features that what are my regular listeners on uh, Hellbent for Metal will be very familiar with and that will mean absolutely nothing at this stage to the Riot Act regulars, but I will explain that when we get to it. Now, um, before we go any further, I mean, obviously, we don't really need to explain. We're just a review show, essentially, on Riot Act. But I thought, since you're here, Tom, and we're doing this crossover, for people that usually listen to our show, yes, you've come up with what I think is a really brilliant idea for a podcast. So I think it's probably worth us sort of discussing, because you said to me when we were chatting about doing this, you hadn't properly ever discussed the sort of genesis or why Hellbent for Metal or how Hellbent for Metal came about. So it's probably worth us having a little bit of that discussion now, isn't it? Yeah, it is, because um, the regular listeners to my podcast have just were just kind of thrown in with the concept to see if anyone would actually mm. listen to it. Um, and when it was clear that people did, uh, I kept kept it going. Um, I, I should probably say at the start, for our regular listeners, they might be missing my usual intro. Uh, so that uh, I should probably say, this is the Hellbent for Riot Act podcast. <laughs> uh, uh, and we are the podcast that would tell you all the things we're feeling about the Channel 4 show, It's a Sin, uh, but we're too busy arguing about our very different takes on uh, Iron Maiden and U2. Uh, and also because <laughs> I would just end up crying on, on air and no one wants that. Um, oh mate, did you, have you watched it? But I, button, did we, you... we are having to spread it out. Like we've watched the first two episodes, and we're going to watch all the rest of it as soon as we can. Kind of gird up our loins. It's it, it's pretty harrowing. For, it's for devastating. Us. It is. It's, yeah. 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 It's absolutely. I I think it's it's brilliant though. Mm. It's yeah. Fucking brilliant. Um. But anyway, sorry. Yeah. Go on. But that's yeah. That's that will come up. Um. Essentially. Uh, Hellbent for Metal in the, the elevator pitch. It's the LGBT plus heavy metal podcast, uh, which is aiming to be a voice for the queer community within metal uh, and a platform for LGBT plus voices within metal who I don't think really um, get much of a look in. Mm. Um, That's definitely true. That's definitely true. Mate, I mean, I've listened to quite a few episodes of it and it's, it's I mean, one thing I think me and Renfrey have sort of spoken about probably more off air amongst ourselves than we have kind of on air that much. But we are, I guess we're both aware that being two kind of 
straight white dudes. Yes, yeah, um, white dudes, as, as uh, my lot refer to you. Yeah, yeah. So we do have to kind of make a point to go. We should definitely get as many different perspectives on as we we possibly can. And I think we've done bits and bobs of that over the the sort of two and a bit years that that we've been a podcast. But um, you know, I'm I'm I think I, I say this all the time. I'm always just really really super interested in other people's perspectives and ways in which i can reconsider or recalibrate the way that music affects people and your podcast does a such a good job of doing that and and i I, it's made me think of music in or certain parts of music that i would in in ways i just would never consider before and i think that's you know i think that's a, a really really important thing and i think it's also it's testament to to how well you put the show together if you don't mind me saying Oh, that's very kind of you, Steve. I mean, the, <laughs> I'm glad that's what you've you've had as your reaction because I mean, the show basically came about because there were there were four things that I was getting progressively more pissed off about, and that was one of them. Um, I got annoyed that I was consistently hearing or seeing things in metal, and I think I've always heard and saw things within metal, which you know it's my favourite type of music um, that I was hearing and seeing differently to straight people. And it was yeah. it was that simple. And I was sure I wasn't being crazy and that there would be others who have a similar you know, space of perspective that I do who might see it the same way. Um, and so that was really kind of one of my goals. So if it's working, then great. Um, I mean, the, the other three things, I said there were four things that pissed me off. One was that queer representation in metal is just dire. <laughs> and, mm. um, you know... It's weird for me that despite me and a load of other queer metalers I've spoken to finding metal really gay, that <laughs> there are so few mm. kind of visibly out people. So that was one of it. Um, I kept finding out there are queer metalers around, but I never hear from you know any but like three. Like you hear from ha- Rob Halford, you hear from Gal maybe, and at a pinch you might hear from Roddy Bottom, but he doesn't do a huge number of interviews. So it's mostly, you know, what's happening on instagram with rob alford that you hear about and that's kind of mm. that's not really queer representation that's just kind of he's he's big because he was he is in judas priest and that's it yeah um and there's there's loads of us around but you never hear from them so one i wanted to kind of be a platform for that so that's why i regularly get people on to you know give their experiences of being out within metal and particularly people who you know make the music happen whether they're actually in bands or they're behind the scenes uh, and finally, I just kept getting pissed off with what I would consider homophobic comments knocking around in, you know, the comment section of major uh, metal Facebook pages. Or even, even <laughs> I, a, you can say it. <laughs> well, say I mean, it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the, it, I'm, I don't think that anyone who is web editor for any of the big music outlets is going to be surprised to hear they have homophobic comments in their section in their no. comment section. Um, but occasionally I'd hear it from bands and I just went, oh, fuck this. Yeah. Um, so I decided if no one else was going to do anything about this, then I was going to give it a go. <laughs> it came up with the, I came up with the concept, honestly, about three years ago, three and a half mm. years ago now. I uh, came up with about half the features I'm currently running, came up with a name, came up with the, the, you know, the idea for the logo and then had to go off and learn how to use Photoshop to design it. Um, and then just had, to, had spent three years looking for a co-host. Um, yeah. And, who uh, promptly fucked off straight away it, uh, now <laughs> i want to make clear that the, my co-host has decided that podcasting is not for him and he's done it for a very very good reason so him leaving was kind of not just with my blessing 
but the moment he said, I, I, I don't think I'm enjoying this. I, I think mm. I really need to stop. I just went, yeah, you, if you, if that's what you feel, you do. And I'm not going to try and, you know, make you kind of crowbar you into doing something you hate because we'll just end up hating each other and the podcast will be shit. So he, he kind of leaves with my blessing and his friend of the pod forever. And uh, I've got a new guy starting next week who's going to be great. You have. That's very, very exciting. By the way, we just want to say we, we, we take little kind of slide digs at Joe Nan yes. occasionally on the show. Oh, anyway, okay. Just because <laughs> this, is not, this is not specific to like going, yeah, yeah, go on. Like we're not trying to start a beef or anything. No, no. We always have a little, uh, little sort of um, the odd shot at Joe Nan. So 12 year old. It's all, all done in jest. Yeah. 12 year old Joe Nan. Yeah. But um, well, you, mate, you I can think... keep on doing that. That's fine. That's just what I just don't want anyone who doesn't know the history of what's going on with my podcast to think that we've had a massive Barney <laughs> when we haven't. No, that that's absolutely true. Mate, I was going to ask you, why do you think it is that, I mean, one of the things that we were going to mention in a minute, and I know you um, wanted to point out a tribute um, to the late Sean, Rein- Sean Reinhardt of um, cynic fame. Um, and death fame as well. And death fame. Yeah. Yeah. And death as well. Um, who obviously was somebody who I think was a one of the certainly when I was first getting into to metal like genuinely one of the first people alongside Roddy Bottom I mean I think maybe even before Halford came out um no he wasn't out until 2014 yeah 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 and Sean Ryan it was Sean Ryan and um uh oh god I've interviewed him twice and I, like I've given him a hug and I forgot his name uh, oh, Paul Masvidal, there we Paul go. Masvidal, yeah. There we go. Sorry. God, senior moment. I mean, they came out in like 2014, and they'd been active for 25 years at that point. Was it really that late? It was. was it, it was really? something like that. It was 2014 or 15. Because hmm. I, because I went, I interviewed Paul, and I just went, yeah, of course he is. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. you know the gaydar is a thing. That's not just a myth. Um, <laughs> and but like that, it, until then there was nothing public. Uh, and it seems, seems that they've been kind of out in their private lives for years, but they, yeah. you just don't hear people be out to the metal community. Why do you think that is, if you've got any ideas? I I mean, my feeling is, and this is, I'm speaking for myself here, I'm not speaking yeah. for the whole queer community. I'm My experience is it's twofold. One is that there aren't very many out people already, so it's not somewhere where you can just kind of feel that you can reveal your what you do away from metal and and have that be fine um whereas you know if if this was the theater you know if if you were a new person who walked into the theater or classical music you'd see out people everywhere and it would be absolutely no no problem in metal because there's like three that it's much it's much less likely that you just feel it's 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 a welcoming space and you almost never see any visible displays of of uh of allyship and one of the the regular features we have on on hellbent for metal is is side by side which is a uh, named after a uh a creator song where he basically yeah. is singing about being an ally um but there's uh, as much as i kind of want to do that regularly i'm now running very very short on future ideas i've got a few but beyond people kind of changing their, you know, Facebook profile photo to a pride flag for in June, you don't really see many bands actually saying very much. So there's yeah. no real signal that this is somewhere that's welcoming. 
And if you add that to the fact that you do hear homophobic comments at gigs and you do, you know, sometimes from the stage, if I'm honest, and you do see a load of homophobic comments in comment sections, you're just going to feel that this isn't a safe place to be out. And you're just going to go, well, the one time it's acceptable to stay in the closet is if you fear for your personal safety. So I'm not going to, I'm going to, I'm going to use that card. So I, that's mm. why I think, because we're around, we're just not very pro prominent. Yeah, I mean, I know when, when we first met, I mean, it was going back probably about a decade since yeah, we've known be. each other now. And I, you know, I think at that point, I mean, I, I had, I did had no idea uh, of, no. of your kind of sexuality at all. And I, and, um, you know, and I, I'm assuming that that must, you know, I remember, I think I remember you putting something on Facebook and, you know, and kind of coming out and I was like, oh, wow. And I was just kind of genuinely surprised. And I just think that must be a very difficult thing to, I, I don't think I, I think what I did instead was that I wrote an editorial in um, Terrorizer, which really pissed off a load of people where I basically said, yeah, metal's really gay. Please stop being homophobic. And mm. the babies threw their toys out of the pram. Of course they did. And, I, and that was kind of me saying, I'm, I, I'm not being discreet about it anymore. Mm. Like yeah. just, guys, if just deal with it. We're around. But it was kind of... That was still quite a I don't know how this is going to go down thing because the number of stuff I'd heard behind the scenes that people of people saying things not knowing I was gay they were quite happy to just be casually homophobic about things in general or use homophobic language and think mm. that was alright so I was kind of nervous about how people would say and it was remarkable the number of people who I'd like heard on stage use homophobic language suddenly say, oh no, we support this. And going, well, we've still got some way to go because you might think that you're supporting it, but you're not helping. You're being part of the problem a lot of the time. So yeah, that was so, that was kind of what happened. So what do you reckon, just to kind of close this bit up, what do you, what do you think, for, for people like Renfrey and I, within the kind of music community, what is it that, I guess, you know, you've come on here and like I said, I've been listening to the podcast and I go, oh yeah, I've it's never really kind of crossed my mind. Now that might just be me being a self-obsessed idiot, possibly, and never thinking about anyone else's perspectives. But you know, I think we're all aware that we should definitely try and consider these types of perspectives, and that's why I think your podcast is so great. Um, what can some people like me and Renfrey do to to help or change this situation from a place of being, you know, straight white dudes? Good question. Uh, I mean, I think if I'm honest, the, the the two most obvious things, the things that you're you're clearly trying to do, I think you know everyone can do more. But the 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 two things that are important, are if if people are homophobic, to say we we don't think that's okay. So just mm -hmm. saying things like no, we're not fine with that is quite powerful. Uh, the other thing is is making sure that there is queer representation here. So having me on. As much as you know, that's great for me. I get to be on the podcast. Yay! <laughs> it's it's also good for you know people to hear that people like me exist, hmm. and that having you know, other musicians from the LGBT community on is is something that's really important. So if you you know if you're actively seeking out people to come on from that community, that's a really important thing. The thing that has changed percep per perceptions and broken down stereotypes about the LGBT community more than anything else over the last 50 odd years is people being visibly out. Mm. 
mm. because up until the 60s that didn't really happen mm. and that people had a load of preconceptions in their head and often load people had a load of cultural be that religious or, or secular um stereotypes and beliefs about what being gay or bi or trans meant that are bullshit frankly um mm. and the thing that broke all that down was twofold one was having people having their friends or their kids or their friends of friends come out and see mm. that all those things that are lies are lies and that you know actually people aren't you know bad or immoral they're just people so that was one and the other thing was people realizing that if they saw homophobia that meant someone was being mean about their kid or their mum or their sister or whoever yeah, yeah. and that that was the point where <clears throat> ordinary people with no skin in the game suddenly went well hang on i don't think that's all right and that's what's changed things so that it's it representation is that is kind of the biggest thing i i feel because it just tells the world that we're here and it tells other people like me that actually it's all right to be here that mm. we're welcome so that's the kind of thing that i th i think is kind of the most helpful um the uh, there are a few other things but they're all kind of they're all much smaller um so a big thing is you know it's the thing that people who hate trans people like to take the piss out of on twitter but having your pronouns in your twitter profile is just a a really simple little thing to get people used to thinking about the fact that not everyone it's is hmm. is part of the gender binary and not everyone is non-trans not mm -hmm. everyone is or cis which not everyone knows what that means but cis is people who aren't trans um so th little things like that can also help but the the representation thing is just a big one making sure that there are platforms for people who aren't part who aren't part of that you know cishet white men um demographic to have mm -hmm. a have somewhere to to present the stories those are the things that i think yeah good what well, remfrey have you got anything you'd like to uh chime in with this discussion I, on? Just, I just think it's a wicked thing that you're doing and it's wicked to see that representation very boldly um being channeled into one thing and uh it's very clear what the show is and who it's trying to represent and as you say yeah there's plenty plenty of people out there who can completely empathize with it so yeah i think it's brilliant oh thank you well it I'm, is, mate. I'm, it's a real pleasure to to be on and, and and thank you for giving me the opportunity to actually say what i'm doing mm, very welcome mate it's it's great I'm, I'm really glad we we could get you on and particularly i mean you know we spoke about as i said at the start we spoke at the, the top of right at going maybe we should get tom to talk on at some point to talk about yeah. blah, blah blah you know this particular album or that particular album but when this podcast happened i was like this is definitely the time this, and this yeah. feels like you know you and i can have endless discussions about you know black metal bands and indie bands and we can bicker and whatever but at the end of the day i think this is a much more um important and uh interesting conversation probably it's probably the most interesting part of the podcast not that you should turn the podcast off at this point <laughs> i hasten to add but um yeah thanks for coming on man it's 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 really cool uh let's get on with doing a little bit of music stuff before we go into the reviews um i don't know if you guys saw the flaming lips space bubble gig um, so Flaming Lips did a gig in Oklahoma on the 23rd of January. It was actually cancelled from last year. I think they did do a sort of trial run of it on the... It was the Colbert uh, yes. show in the yeah. US. Yeah. Um, so everybody was in a bubble, like a literal, actual blow-up 
dome thing, which they've kind of, the Flaming Lips have done on stage previously themselves. Wayne Coyne has gone on and walked over the crowd before in his little bubble. But but getting that happening, I was like, that's a really, a really wicked thing to do. And it kind of comes off the back of Glastonbury getting cancelled last week, which happened just after me and Renfrey finished recording last week. So we didn't really get a chance to um, to talk about it. I mean, ultimately, those two things put together, I just... I just want gigs. I just want gigs back now. Yeah. Uh, that, seeing some of that footage of the bubble gig is absolutely amazing. It looks incredible. And I'm, I absolutely applaud Flaming Lips for, do it, for doing it. I think the more that I read about it, the more I, I kind of it vaguely got my hopes up that I was like, is this something that can be rolled out en masse? Uh, and no, <laughs> it, I, yeah. think, I think that, <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> it can't. Uh, surprise, surprise. Um, but yeah, they put a lot of thought and, and, and effort into it. Like there's signs that you hold up if you need to go to the toilet, the signs you hold up if you're getting too hot in the bubble and they come and they bring a leaf blower and just blow air in there. Uh, they like left you a towel in there to, to wipe off the condensation. Um, there was a bottle of water, you know, like they, they really thought it through. Um, and uh, yeah, the pictures and the video look insane. Yeah, it really does look good. And it just, again, I was like, oh. the, the actually the BBC put that story up and then they also had a picture of gigs that are happening right now in New Zealand and it's just uh, completely back to normal. Oh, and like, mate, oh, don't. Man. Like the, the worst, like New Zealand got out of it so early and the thing mm. that we uh, noticed, we being my household, was when they they were able to have live sport and just have full stadiums. Like they had a they had a, yeah. a rugby competition. Normally, New Zealand's like like club rugby in, is a transnational thing, so they go to uh, South Africa and um, uh, Australia. But then they just went, well, they're all fucked, so we're just going to have it on our own. And they had this own this little tournament just of of New Zealand teams playing each other, full stadiums, and we were just going, oh, that looks really good. I wish we could have that. <laughs> And but when they started having, when they had a proper fucking festival, we just went, "Oh, you're taking the piss now. This yeah. is just not fair." Like, so if, unfair. The, I haven't been to a gig since 2019. Oh fuck! Really? 2019? Yeah, I didn't even see anything at the start of last year. Oh, brutal. I mean, I uh, we actually we were sort of messaging each other back and forth, and I, and I said to you yesterday, Tom, I went to see Annihilator at the start of 2020, I think, and. It was pissing down with rain. I was on my own. It was at the Underworld. It was Saturday night. I was absolutely knackered. I didn't really want to go. And I was like, I, I, I dream about that gig now. I have like fantasy dreams about standing in the Underworld watching Annihilator at the back, <laughs> like absolutely knackered. It's just, it's just too much. It's just too much to bear. Yeah, it's uh, we spoke about this a few months ago <laughs> when we were because we were, we were listening to the the um, skeletal remains album and we mm. said oh this this just makes us want to go and and listen to some live music in and I'm gonna rock out and have a beer and and like we're months later and we're still going no it's still gonna be fucking six months isn't it well, at least yeah we're looking at this this flaming lips gig and just going. Oh, well, yeah, it's not great, but uh, but you know, live music would be good, wouldn't it? Well, I think mm. this Glastonbury news, unfortunately, does dictate uh, the direction that a lot of festivals in the UK will go in. It's probably a little bit early to say whether the um, smaller festivals could go ahead, the Bloodstocks and the Arctangents and et cetera, et cetera. But 
I think for stuff like Download and Reading and Leeds, if Glastonbury can't, I, I do appreciate that Glastonbury is three or four times the size of those festivals, but I still think it's going to be a real... It's really, a big ask. It's a big ask. It's a big ask. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It sucks. It is what it is. But, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's pretty annoying. Should we just move on to some reviews so that yeah. we don't have to keep being like, oh, I want to go to a gig. Wow. Uh, before uh, we do, I, do. I, should, I should probably... T- we mentioned Sean Ryan at Yes, before. go on. Um, mm. The uh, the reason we brought him up is that uh, at the start of this week it was the anniversary of his sad death from um, cardiovascular problems, um, and in tribute uh, a, a YouTube channel called Drum Talk, which is really good by the way, uh, has done a really in depth tribute to him. It's like this hour long uh, memorial talking about the various things that he drummed on and, and his techniques and why he was good. Uh, from people like uh, Dirk Verburen and Steve DiGiorgio and Thomas Hawke and Gene Hoagland, so people who you know either worked with him or are admi- were admirers of him. In cases of Gene Hoagland, had to join the band he'd just been in when he left and mm. learn to play like him, despite having a very different style. And and to hear them kind of talk about how bloody good he was is is it's a really beautiful tribute. And anyone who's vaguely interested. Um, I would recommend check that out. Uh, if you if you, if you just search Drum Talk and Sean Reiner on YouTube, you'll find it. Or the Hellbent for Metal Twitter account has it. It's on a post quite high up. Yeah, you sent that you you sent that over to me, and obviously we spoke about um, Sean at the time on on this show, and we've spoken about Cynic a few times as well. And yes, I can concur that is definitely um, a really really interesting video and a really great tribute to him. So. Yes, go over and do that for sure. Maybe we'll put it on our Twitter as well. I, I was about to say, I'll try and put it in the show notes for this yeah. episode. Okay, sweet. Um, all right, well, let's get down to it. Let's do some reviews then. Um, yes, let, music. Let's, let's start with Stephen Wilson, The Future Bites. It's the sixth studio, solo studio album from the UK Prog Overlord or X prog overlord should i say uh the follow-up to his fairly divisive 2017 album to the bone um this time he's brought in producer david coston who's worked with the likes of bat for lashes everything everything and marina and the diamonds and um he's a gentleman who is credited with helping to shape the sound of this record uh he also recently stephen wilson has covered taylor swift's excellent the last great american dynasty on his youtube channel and he's got gary kemp from spandau ballet guesting on a song on this album as well um now uh will it be the... gold though oh, oh there he is. <laughs> yeah it's the best thing you've said on the podcast so far tom you keep topping yourself it's brilliant um uh, this album, according to the press notes, is conceived by the idea of a chance meeting um, with someone who works for Amazon. Here's a little bit from the press note. I'm just going to read this out quickly. Um, Stephen Wilson says, I began to understand that in 2021, our lives are no longer ruled by politicians, but by the kind of people who write algorithms that manipulate our online behavior, particularly with respect to how we consume. The process started while I was staying in a hotel on holiday and found myself talking to someone at the bar who worked for Amazon. He went on to describe his job as to analyse why people put things in their shopping basket but didn't actually check out and complete the purpose, uh, the purchase and how they could convert those almost sales into actual sales. In other words, taking someone's online footprint, analysing all that data and then using it against them to get them to spend money. I thought to myself, ah, of course that's a job now and that's really was the beginning of the whole The Future Bites project. Um, 
which is quite interesting. Uh, I think you can kind of hear that in the record. I feel like I'm quite a fan of Stephen Wilson's work, more of a fan of kind of the latter part of Porcupine Tree's output. I really love Fear of a Blank Planet, In Absentia, Dead Wing. I really like The Incident as well. Yeah, um, definitely. That's a great record. Yeah, really, really good records. I really like The Raven That Refused to Sing. Um, yeah, but then I just again. sort of, yeah, like really good record. I'm, I'm kind of interested in... Um, how you guys both feel. Renfrew, I know you're a fan of a lot of Stephen Wilson's previous material. Yeah. Tom, you sound like you are as well. Would that be fair to say? Very definitely. Uh, I absolutely adored the end of Porcupine Tree. I kind of missed the start, mainly through age and not being 40 um, or 45. <laughs> um, and kind of, I was very much more latter Porcupine Tree than earlier. But when he went solo... Uh, before he actually did the solo stuff, he did uh, Storm Corrosion, which I loved, which yeah. was terrifying. It was mm. that like acoustic prog thing he did with... Uh, Michael Ackerfeld. With Mike Ackerfeld, yeah, <clears throat> which was great. Uh, mm. The Raven That Refused to Sing was just a, an absolutely beautiful record. I, th I, th I liked, but didn't quite get the first one. Like Grace for Drowning a lot more, but The Raven That Refused to Sing was the moment I went, yep, now I am definitely a solo Stephen Wilson fan. And he did mm. a, a festival hall show for that, which I went to, which was just absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, big, big fan. And liked, liked Hank Cannot Erase uh, too. Um, that that was the one that I'll, was I'll really... Leave, I'll leave to the bone before we... Uh, for, for okay. the next bit, I think. Yeah, <laughs> Hank Cannot Erase um, was, felt like it was hugely critically lauded. And yep. then, as I said at the start, um, to the bone, fairly divisive a record. Now, for me, um, what I always liked about Stephen Wilson's work in Porcupine Tree was his kind of grasp of melody and hooks. And I think there's a lot of bands in progressive music that don't master that in the same way. And I think that's... It's quite an important thing for me. Um, it's always sort of the difference between being impressed by something and then actually really loving them. And I always thought that they're kind of the technology-fearing, utopian nightmares that he conjures up are really good as well. Um, that kind of Black Mirror aesthetic I always thought was really cool. And this record leans in pretty heavily on both those things, I think. Um, Renfrey, mm. I'm going to start with you as I would say, probably the biggest post-rock stroke prog dude out of the three of us. Mm. Um, and I'm interested to think to hear what you have to say about this record. Well, every Stephen Wilson record is kind of a jump to the next thing that he's going to do. And I think you can really see that over the course of these six albums. As you mentioned there, To The Bone was um, controversial. I think generally it was, was received pretty well critically. Pretty much all of Stephen Wilson's albums usually are. Um, <clears throat> but it certainly, it took on a poppier direction um, for what he did, which was probably far poppier than he's ever been uh, before. This record makes that album seem like a prog odyssey. <laughs> <laughs> like this yes this is so shiny glossy pop it, it is a pop album there is nothing I, I feel like to the bone was a pop album played on modern rock instruments well rock instruments this is a pop album played with like synths and pop stuff <laughs> pop instruments pop instruments um <laughs> <Yeah. clears throat> 
big 80s vibe um uh, oh really <laughs> <laughs> big 80s vibe uh personal shopper is weirdly reminiscent of the night rider theme i think <laughs> you know the way that that comes <laughs> in <laughs> um and then it does have that kind of 80s dance feel <clears throat> to it doesn't it <clears throat> very much so and then towards the end of that song i mean i couldn't believe this when you told me this earlier today steve but elton john starts listing a bunch of mm. stuff that we buy and don't need in a very um alan rickman tubular bells-esque way i don't know if either of you have ever heard the end of tubular bells too yeah <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah alan rickman announces all of the instruments as they're being played and is it, it alan rickman i didn't know it was alan rickman it's alan rickman yeah yeah yeah. Oh, i yeah, didn't yeah. know that okay all oh, right yeah oh, cool and and this reminded me i mean I, I wouldn't even be surprised if it was a nod to that i'm sure stephen wilson listens to mike oldfield i would have thought mm. um, i would be shocked if he didn't no nah, yeah I'd be yeah more surprised if that was the case <laughs> yeah um i've had a bit of a journey with this album if i'm honest um the first time i heard it i did not like it at all uh i, I just couldn't get on board with it i couldn't vibe with it at all upon repeated listens uh I just can't really deny the catchiness of these songs and I can't help singing along to them now after sort of four or five listens. And I, I, I don't love this album, but I've got to admit it does the job that it's trying to do very, very well, I think. Hmm. Very well. Now, Tom... Um, I felt like when we kind of put this show together, obviously it's deliberately kind of a bit heavier than we often are throughout. And I thought to myself, Stephen Wilson is close enough related to metal with the work he's done with Opeth and Michael Wackerfell. We've mentioned the fact that he used to be on Roadrunner Records with Porcupine Tree. And he's sort of, although he's a prog artist, he's kind of dipped close enough to heavy metal in the past to really be something that I assumed you would potentially consider to review on your show and then i heard the record and i thought oh well you definitely wouldn't now once no. you heard it so i'm quite interested to hear what you think about this record um well I, you're right that i wouldn't have it on helmet yeah. metal if it was not for the crossover um i i every week we don't we're not a co we're not a coverage podcast and we we mm. have make no pretense at doing it i have no interest in covering everything that comes out even slightly, because that inevitably is going to mean I'm going to have to waste my time listening to a load of stuff I have no, I don't care about. I don't it's, want another Anthrax record. I'm not true. listening to it because I have to ever <laughs> again. Um, Sorry so about true. that. So, so I only we, we in the middle though. Every week, along with all the all the, the specifically queer theme stuff, uh, we do have a section where we nominate two albums to go into the uh, hell, the Hellbent for Metal's very own gay bar, the Hate Crew Gay Bar, which is named after the. Uh, tragically departed Alexi Laiho. Uh, mm -hmm. We nominate two albums to go in the jukebox because uh, we we don't want the staff to just be kind of absolutely drowning in you know Ace of Spades and Symphony of Destruction every fucking week. Um, so we we nominate two albums. I could not nominate this for that. Um, not because of anything other than um, this is definitely aiming at the wrong clientele for a heavy metal gay bar. Uh, definitely. Anyway, there are definitely gay bars that cater to this kind of thing already. Mm. I've been to at least one of them. Um, although if we did have a prog night, I have to say I would put on Personal Shopper 
because I fucking love this album. <laughs> like, I think of all the things that we're doing this week, this might be my favourite. Oh, amazing. Um, <laughs> it's, it's certainly Great. in the top two. It's definitely in the top two of, of all the five things that we're going to talk about. I love it. It's so much fun. It's, it's so cutting and it's so biting. And so the music is so at odds with the general tone of it mm. and particularly the tone of the lyrics. And it's so mm. genuinely full of malice. The thing about Stephen Wilson I really like is that he's, everything sounds like it should be really nice. And then you hear what he's talking about. And it's often either ghost stories, really kind of cynical, you know, Black Mirror-esque social commentary, or songs about serial killers. So it's always about something which is really foul. But he's mm. doing it in a way which sounds like on the sounds superficially like it should be pretty, and this is this is like the most Stephen Wilson thing I've ever heard. If you take that aspect from not don't focus on the prog, it just makes me want to dance and destroy capitalism. Mm. <laughs> that's one <laughs> which is cool. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a hook there. Um, just to kind of get my thoughts on it out there really quickly before we go that much deeper into the record, um, this is. I tweeted the other day that this album made me dig out the old Mark Owen album, the Mark Owen's <laughs> debut album, right? And loads of people took that to go, oh, stop, stop, he's already dead. And oh, wow, sick burn and all this lot. No, lads, no, you have, you have taken this the wrong way. That Mark Owen album's wicked. And this is comfortably, comfortably my favourite album of the year so far. I know it's only January. I know it is. But I am telling you now, I cannot imagine... I cannot imagine this not being in my top 10 albums of at the end of 2021. I would be staggered. I mean, at the moment, it is so far ahead as number one. I absolutely fucking love this record. That's it is wicked. incredible. It's brilliant. It's so brilliant. It's so brilliant. It feels like it has been crafted specifically and precisely for my exact needs as a music listener for the sort of stuff that i really like at the moment this is perfect and i think what's really interesting about it is talking about you know pop and the night rider theme tune and 80s music and stuff like that we we on the show last week renfrey were speaking about smashing pumpkins new records and how the smashing pumpkins <coughs> have gone out of their way to make a contemporary re sounding record and what they actually did was just sound like a load of old people doing electronic music from 25 years ago. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. It sounded more like an orgy album it's crap. than it did. Oh, God, <laughs> yes. don't. Don't, don't no, bring, up, bring them up, for God's sake. No, Awful. no. no. Um, and, and this is the perfect counterpoint of going, no, 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 no. You can be an older musician. You can lean on 80s sensibilities and the sort of the, the, the classic era of really weird, big, pop music and yet still sound really really contemporary and i don't i'm not gonna go as far as say cutting edge no but certainly contemporary yeah. um it sounds like a modern album it does it sounds like a modern album and it i tell you which is fucking great modern album it sounds like as well there's one uh, there was one bit i think it's the the verse of self where mm. at first i i just i'm, I'm sorry i'm going to evoke a stereotype now i'm really sorry okay. For all the queers listening, I'm sorry to fall prey to this one. It's a, the first of that song sounds like Vogue by Madonna, if Madonna was massively political. Except it doesn't. It sounds like Chromatica by Lady Gaga. But yeah. if Lady Gaga was 
even more furious and political. So that's what it's out like. The fact that I'm literally referencing an artist who is very much of this time, not a heritage artist, and an album that came out last year says how well he's captured what you're talking about. And I, I could not agree more. In fact, I don't think I've ever agreed with anything you've said more than that, Steve. <laughs> good, good. This, this, I mean, album, we, this album was initially due out last year as well. So yeah, it was, it was actually, from that point of view. it was actually recorded in 2019. Yeah. And it feels like it was, it, it's become kind of more relevant and more contemporary with yes. The, the kind of the passing of time. I mean, Definitely. I would almost go as far as to say, as, you know, we reviewed the 1975 album last year. The 1975 uh, just kind of exists to, to be mm. this zeitgeisty band. And I think this almost feels like it's more forward thinking and more, almost more zeitgeisty than than a band like the 1975. And, I, I you yep. know, I mean, saying that, I mean, you mentioned self, which... I think Vogue's a great shout. Um, you probably won't like this so much, Tom, but um, Big Thing era, the album Big Thing by Duran Duran was when Duran Duran started to go away from like shiny shoulder pads and stuff and try and write serious songs. And it's got stuff like All She Wants Is, I Don't Want Your Love, like bangers, but a bit more kind of lackadaisical. And there's there's a, a, a bit of that in there as well. And I mean, it's got lyrically. You mentioned the lyrics like "self-made millionaire," "self is um, self is too self-detached." We are self, and all you see is self now. It's just like it's brilliantly smart, and it's a really great way to start the album. And it's it's less than three minutes long, and it feels like it get lo yeah. gets loads of stuff done in less than three minutes. And straight away, I was like, "This is just an absolutely brilliant pop song." And then King Ghost comes after it, which is got a less obvious pop hook it kind of it's got a bit of a mo wax vibe if mo wax were like if james lavelle from uncle decided to put out a rock record it's quite dreamy a bit trip hobby trip trip hoppy and the piano it's got this really cool piano part that just floats below the surface and that kind of alternative pop thing of like i mentioned like 1975 or the weekend it's got a little bit of a vibe to to that to it yet at the same time you can see the lineage of I mean, talk, talk, and Tangerine Dream, and and all the things that you would expect Stephen Wilson to be referencing as influences. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, I think this is a record which incorporates sort of his skill as a musician and a producer with a style that we don't normally associate him with, and mm. that is always going to be really interesting to listen to because Stephen Wilson is an artist that I trust. I trust that whatever he turns his hand to, he will be capable of making a brilliant version of it. And even though I didn't respond well to this album initially, it's really grown on me. It's really grown on me. Um, and I do think this is a terrific album. I'm curious to know, Steve, I recommended that you go back to, to The Bone and have a listen to that. Did you get a chance mm. to do that? I did, yeah, I did. What did you think uh, of that briefly? I don't think it's anywhere near as good. Really? To be perfectly honest. Mm, okay, okay. I don't know how you think about that, Tom. If you'd agree with that, uh, I am probably. I really like to the bone. No, I love to the bone. Let's be. Let me get off the fence. Um, I think this is better though. If mm. I'm if I'm honest, the number of times that I've gone back to to the bone makes me think that I really enjoyed it, but it didn't actually hook me as much as I kind of wanted it to. And that it's you know that ultimately is really the test of how much you long term 
really like an album that is doing that you know if it's something really conceptual and challenging it's a bit different but something that is really trying to hook you in and give you like things to come to mem remember then how often you come back to it is an important gauge uh i think this is just it's it's both hookier and i think the punches that it's trying to land are just so much more kind of surgically targeted mm. it's like I, I i tried to think how can i phrase this to kind of put it in in like a, a metal context and i went that basically it sounds like a nolna thrack binged 30 years of prog and then decided to make a pop record yeah and that because that's what that's the kind of that's the the mentality that's driving it it's cynical in a really kind of in a really in the kind of way that only someone who's who like thinks that we can do better couldn't be cynical like it's the kind of thing that is written by someone who really goes why the fuck are we doing this we shouldn't be doing this this is bad we can do better than this and he's so angry about it but rather than kind of because Stephen Wilson isn't the kind of guy who then gets you know writes death metal riffs and shrieks he's decided hmm I'm gonna make a pop record and get Guthrie Govan to kind of do the guitar bits because I can and mm. and you know I, I I don't know if he's, if he's still got Guthrie with him but you know that's the kind of thing he has done in the past the the thing the thing that really kind of separates it out is when he doesn't does the the personal shopper um, yeah. sequence because that's like nine minutes fifty mm. and it's you know even accounting for the spoken word bit it's it's so expertly crafted and it doesn't feel like that's just kind of tacked on at the end that feels like a, a core piece of the songwriting mm. and the fact that that comes you know directly after what's essentially a bouncy dancey pop banger with um you know the the kind of the pips-esque backing singer uh <laughs> chorus line you know yeah. that's 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 so clever and it, it you know as, as much as it's kind of clever and you want to go that's amazing what you've done there it's not chin strokey it's i want to get up and dance and then i want to you know go on some sort of you know, social media crusade against consumerism so it's it's done exactly what it's trying to get me to do yeah i mean he's actually um he says the song personal shopper sits somewhere between being a love letter to shopping which i love to do and the uneasiness i feel about the more insidious side of modern consumerism lucretia's blackly comet video captures that dilemma perfectly i don't know if you've seen the video to personal shopper um i would suggest you all go and watch it because it's very very black mirror now um what i should have said at the top of the show actually is i actually interviewed stephen wilson yesterday and that's going to be going up as a special podcast and um when we spoke about personal shopper and i said you know that's it's the centerpiece of the record for me like that is the yeah. moment that it's the like it's the moment on the record it's the best song on the best album that i've heard so far this year i think and i mean like it really starts like a sort of a mix between fear of a blank planet era porcupine tree and and the pet shop boys and i think that kind of that throbbing bass thing like again prog rock right you look at it and you go prog musician nine minute 49 running time for this song it's gonna be some sort of very odd like difficult multi-parted and and it kind of and it, like you say, Tom, it, it kind of is that. But this is far more reminiscent of, like, introspective, the Pet Shop Boys album, where they put all the 12-inch 12, 12 remixes of their songs on the record, rather than, you know, the album being the single versions. And that art of, like, I mean, I, I spoke, again, I spoke to Stephen Wilson about that, and he was mentioning, you know, Giorgio Moroder and Trevor Horn and people who tried to turn 
dance club bangers into massive like 12 15 minute long not you know not just crap 12 inch versions where it'd be the hi-hat for the first three minutes but actually turning them into almost symphonies and so not the long version of blue monday then yeah exactly like the the 12 inch of blue monday like i know yes it's very very forward thinking and it was revolutionary for the time but it's not actually the best really do you know like that got that was updated far better in years to come and i think you know he mentioned um the 12 inch remix of left on my own devices by the pet shop boys which i think is a fucking fantastic shout in comparison with a song like personal shopper um it it's just brilliant it's just you know somebody who understands how to make really lengthy music but this isn't but it's not it's just not I mean, it kind of is progressive because Stephen Wilson has progressed beyond doing what he used to do, but it's not really prog. It's a, it's a fucking dance club banger. It's brilliant. Renfrew, you're nodding. I'm nodding. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. I think it's fantastic. I think I'm absolutely overjoyed that you like this as much as you do because I don't think you've gone in massively on Stephen Wilson on the past, apart from maybe the Raven that refused to sing. Is that fair to Hmm. say? Not his solo material, no. No, I really, I do really like The Raven That Refused to Sing. And obviously it's a very, very different record to this record. And it, kind of comparing them is a bit of a weird thing, but uh, because they are very, very different. But I think, you know, I mean... I mean, this that's is, closer to Storm Corrosion than it is to it, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think if you were somebody who picked up Storm Corrosion, maybe the earlier Porcupine Tree material and and The Raven That Refused to Sing, and you heard this there's a chance that you might be fairly confused, but I just think the quality of the songwriting, the quality of the ideas are, are just so great. I mean, even if it's kind of MOR synth pop bangers, like follower follower sounds a bit like this town ain't big enough for the both of us, but by sparks and it <laughs> melded with like Phil Collins era Genesis, you know, it's, <laughs> it's like, I got no problem with that at all. Like big grand piano chimes, pop music sounding intelligent and well-crafted and i mean the production on this record's fucking fantastic and i think to the bone to go back to to the bone which i thought was good like when i listened to it but i think one of the things he said in the interview that we did was that he felt like maybe he was sort of second guessing what pop you know you're saying he tried to make a record which was a bit like kate bush or was a bit like talk talk and and he was kind of maybe second guessing himself a little bit to just just to ape those ideas rather than create something new. And I really think the Future Bites, it sounds really contemporary and it sounds really new, but you can tell where it's come from as well. It's fucking great. Great. I think I, th- I think uh, the the last album was more, was more kind of something that would be on in Retro Bar and this is more G-A-Y to put it in terms of, of London gay bars. <laughs> this is going to mean nothing to you guys. But... <laughs> I know hey. what G-A-Y is. Yeah, we know what G-A-Y is. Yeah, Come but I bet, I bet you've never had a night in retro. I know you, bet you've never been to a Kate Bush night in retro bar. I haven't, no. no. I haven't yeah, done I, that. See, I have. <laughs> okay. Well, that sounds good. I mean, I would like, I would like to, I like Kate Bush. I would like to do that, to be perfectly honest. So um, I c- consider that, a, you, when all I, this I, is I over, think, Tom... I th- I think there's some regulars there who'd quite like you to go along as well. Oh, mate, I am. I'd love. Yeah, but consider this is a date, right? When all this pandemic shit is over, that is one of the things we're going to do. 
Yeah, I, I mean, just to sort of close up on it, he's done a sort of reverse Mark Hollis. It's awesome. I feel like this is something David Byrne would do. Like, that's heady fucking praise coming from me, you know, with those two artists. Um, it's just brilliant. It's just a brilliant, brilliant record. Um, clever, classy, instant, intelligent pop, hooks, sublime production, so many different variants of what's going on, loads of dynamics. Awesome. Amazing. Yeah, I, I I think it's great. I like. I feel like I'm the least enthusiastic of the three of us, um, but I I still think this is clearly a great record. Um, and even if you don't normally listen to pop music, it's probably something that's worth listening to, because it's just so sumptuously created and it just sounds so majestic and huge. Mm. I mean, Stephen Wilson's production. It goes without saying that the production is absolutely incredible. Um, yeah, I think it's brilliant. I'm really interested to see how this material will slide in with his old material when he plays live again. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's that'll be interesting. <laughs> just tell just tell the drummer to go and you know behave and and go and have a quick uh, piss break while the uh, drum machine takes over. Be <laughs> <laughs> uh, like touring with the Human League. I'd like, obviously, I'd love that. Human League and Stephen Wilson co-headliner. <laughs> Fucking brilliant. Whoever thought that was would be a, a legitimate possibility. But, but uh, it would but work. We are. It would work it on would this work. album. You know, it would mm. totally, totally work. So, yeah, I think this is great. It's really good. Tom, any last thoughts on the record at all before we move on? Uh, I, I mean, the thing I would kind of, that I would just say is a kind of, of an overall thing without going into, going, you know, diving deep back into the, um, the individual songs, the, the thing to take away from it is it's ultimately just really fucking fun we can talk about why and all the cleverness and all the all the kind of political stuff and what we like about that but ultimately it is just stick it on pop hooks and if if you take nothing else away from it that would still be a bloody great time i think yeah absolutely uh it's out now the future bites by stephen wilson it is brilliant um let's move on to our next record it comes from tribulation the album is called where the gloom becomes sound it is the fifth album from the swedish psychedelic black metal band who recently announced the departure of longtime guitarist jonathan holton uh it's the follow-up to 2018's down below an album which i believe tom you and i reviewed together on another podcast that we won't mention but um um, I remember you being suitably impressed by said record at the time. Is that fair? That's very fair. Um, I was very much into it. I, I mean, psychedelic is is interesting. I I tend to find them kind of a little bit more straight up than that. I always think this is kind of this is basically what would happen if a uh, a a black metal band stripped out the black metal and uh, <laughs> put in a, a an Iron Maiden tribute act, uh, and then said, right, now take all those songs and make them sound evil and kept the vocalist um and that kind of that for me is 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 how i've kind of taken away from i firmly liked the last two records i really enjoyed a lot of both of those albums uh and i i i have to admit i didn't initially get them i had a slightly difficult introduction with them because the they started out as a straight up death metal band didn't really like the debut record very much a load of people that who I you know sh should agree with really liked the formulas of death, which was the second one, but I didn't get that either, and I think it was mostly down to production. I then saw them live and thought they were bobbins, but it turns out they probably just fell victim to festival sound and um, you know probably a hangover because it was roadburn. Um, mm. And then I saw them do uh, Children of the Night came out, 
I thought it was okay, but didn't really get it. Saw them live at Incineration Fest at the Underworld, and they fucking blew me away. And I just went, oh, yeah, this is what it's about. And then went back and listened to the album went, and now I get it. Down Below, I thought was basically the same, but better written. So it was right. exactly the same in sound. Just they crafted the songs a bit more, and it all kind of, it was just all a bit more not stripped back but lean if that makes sense like they've cut out the flabbier bits that makes so, sense so rhythmically it was a lot tighter and everything fits together a bit more so yeah i, I was i was definitely suitably impressed by it yeah i mean me saying kind of psychedelic black metal i mean that's from the wikipedia page and i guess it's <laughs> i guess it said something when um you know i remember you being impressed by the record but i guess it probably said something about that record when i tell you that i've I've not returned to the record and to be honest i couldn't actually remember what it sounded like at all to be perfectly honest in the last few years um renfrey tribulation i feel like you and i have never spoken about this band certainly not on this podcast uh, ever but I know you are familiar with them, right? Mm. Yes. Um, no, I don't think we have. Um, Down Below came out and that was the first Tribulation album I was aware of. And uh, it was it garnered some pretty good critical an press and analysis. So I uh, checked it out and I really liked it. But like you, Steve, um, just due to volume of stuff that we have to listen to i didn't go back to it although when i mm. listened when i put when the gloom becomes sound on i did wonder to myself why haven't i gone back to that other tribulation record because i like this a lot it is right. really good fun um and i actually listened to this album and down below quite a lot over the last couple of days um they played a show with ghost at wembley arena two years ago a year ago that's right God. yeah um which i went to and they were brilliant there although the sound was a little muddy wembley arena support acts yada 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 um, <laughs> standard standard mm. but they were absolutely fantastic and i remember saying then oh i should really go back and re-listen to Tri tribulation and i didn't um but yeah i feel like a fucking idiot because I, it, this album's just so much fun um I was wondering what you guys thought about Jonathan Holton's announced his departure from the band just as this album's come out. And I think as a result, I was expecting it to not have much of Jonathan Holton's trademark guitar sound, but I think it's actually full of full of it. Like there's loads. And they said in the press notes that this album is pretty much written exclusively by him. So they're basically jumping on and touring a record which most of the band didn't write if that makes sense uh mm. now that jonathan holton's left i was just wondering about your thoughts on that do you think holton has a very identifiable guitar sound oh well you'd have to talk to tom about that what do you reckon tom, tom? um yes and no i mean it's it's a difficult one because i hear his guitar sound and i just hear the new wave of british heavy metal so mm. clearly yeah. But, you know, gothed up to the nines and, you know, given, you know, pale face paint and, and, and lots of dark makeup around the eyes. Um, I guess once the vocals a... come in, you go, once the vocals come in alongside that music, you go, oh, it's tribulation. So you need yes. both of those elements in place. But yeah, I understand what you're saying. No, I think that's um, fair. I mean, what I, what I would say is, I mean, they should probably mention, you mentioned Ghost. Uh, there is a link between the two bands because, um, 
Adam Zars, who is the other guitarist and, and one of the co-founders of the band, uh, was in Repugnant, which was the uh, uh. death metal band that Tobias was in before he did Ghost and decided that actually he preferred that. Um, can't I can't imagine why he he did that. Um, Repugnant, <laughs> I should say, was it was a really influential band in the Swedish scene, like hugely influential. Like I did a, I think it was about 2013. I actually went to Sweden to do a little feature on Swedish death metal, and I was like, so what what got you into death metal? Repugnant. All of them just said repugnant, uh, which was interesting. Mm. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think in terms of the sound, the thing that they're mm-hmm. most going to lose going forwards, unless they can learn how to do that, is how much he's got better. I think the the for me the 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 thing that is is most going to be lost is not necessarily the sound, it's the experience. Because if you look at what he wrote for this album in terms of the lead guitar parts, rather than necessarily the kind of mm. the style, he's managed to make it a lot more tribulation e. Yeah, it's it's more distinct and it's got an awful lot more like fine tuned. There's so much melody in this. This it, it it the guitars are carrying so much of the hooks now that I think that that's the thing they're going to have to work on when they do something else i i think that's mm. the thing i think the guitar is the star on this record like absolutely some of the melodies and some of the guitar lead lines that holton comes up with are so fucking good just a quick shout out for his solo album which we didn't get around to covering last year but um chance from another place um is really good he kind of brings that tribulation-esque sense of melody into a nick drake kind of personification it's really good it's really really good um but yeah it it feels like it has so much of Holton's stamp on it this record it is interesting to know how are they gonna continue with this sound absolutely i really hope they're able to but it feels like he's quite a key ingredient in that i might be reading too much into that i don't know no well i mean I, i i like i say i feel like i've i said psychedelic black metal and i feel like i've kind of misremember them a bit because this like you've both sort of said classic heavy metal with a kind of really arcane feeling about it all i mean the the leads are some of the leads on this are bombastically brilliant like you're right that kind of pure icy goodness that you get from some of the guitar parts i i think is great and i think the way the album teases you in to like not being a, a massive massive black metal fan and i think it's obviously not really strictly a black metal album but no definitely not but anything that yeah but certainly um the feel like i i like the feel of that really kind of icy arcane thing mixed with like motorhead do you know what mm, i mean like, yes. i think like that instantaneous like full throttle thrill but while at the same time feeling really kind of dark and grim i think is is really cool and i mean the opening song i think is uh, remembrance is like sets a really high watermark for the rest of this record yeah and then it's it's followed by again this super catchy opening picked riff and lead on hour of the wolf which has got this sort of a bit of an eastern mysticism uh, to leviathans on it as well and there's there's just a lot of scope and a lot of twists and turns on this record that i that that really kept me me interested throughout the entire runtime and i think uh, i think both of renfrey and i's criticisms of metal in general over the last sort of few years has been 
you're getting hammered by the same thing over and over and over again. But I think this is there's a lot of colour to this record. A hell of a lot of colour. I'd agree. I mean, certainly, uh, regular Hellbent for Metal listeners, this is one of the nominations for the Hate Crew Gay Bar this week because I fucking love this. I mean, I had came into this with, I think, probably higher expectations than anyone else here. And I, mm. they've not just been met, but they've been easily exceeded. Um, it has to be said, a lot of the improvement, I think, is down to production. Some of it is the band, but the production is just incredible. They've there was a little thing with the last two where I went, well, the song's really good, but it sounds kind of, it sounds like you're trying to recapture 1981 a little bit, and I don't really want that from a band that are clearly not a new wave of British heavy metal band because you're Swedish. It's 2018, and it's um, you know, you aren't using those like heroic tenor vocals so what i wanted was something i think a little bit more them and this is it they just now say everything sounds absolutely cavernous like there's this real it gives everything this real kind of majesty in decay kind of just quoted immolation um (laughs) that's there's an immolation album called majesty in decay which is really fucking good um it's it's that that phrase really sums up what i kind of feel when i listen to this because i just think this kind of cavernous temples with drapes that are kind of a, a, a worn and torn and, and some kind of arcane wizard at the at the altar something something like that mm, is yeah. kind of the image it's, it it conjures up and that's the that's the thing i think the production wasn't doing in the previous albums that this time just sounds incredible and i was just like yes do this do this every time this is exactly how you should sound because it makes you sound like you not a tribute act because you aren't a tribute back to your band you're a fucking good band and mm. it the fact they they really seem to have done that is just perfect but they've they've made the songs match it as well mm. so that i don't remember them doing something quite as kind of drawn out and epic sounding as in remembrance at the start like there's, they've done songs like Arrow of the Wolf before, which is like, yeah, it's a great rock song. And they've just done four minutes of great rock song. But to mm. really kind of construct something where it's clear they're trying to tell a story and to really, you know, build it and, and then break into this kind of great swagger. And it just, uh, within about two minutes of this album, I'm just like, I want to throw on all the denim and leather I own and just, <laughs> just pour beer into a glass and raise it into the air and pretend I'm at a show. It's so much fun. It's yeah. great. There's yeah. a song. I mean, I've I put, there's a song in it that I love called "Dirge of a Dying Soul." Mm-hmm. I think it's fucking fantastic. It's slow, creepy, stalky, brooding, kind of nightmarish. But it's got this orchestral swell and this piano part, and it goes from being like, you know, in what a lot of bands' hands could be just a sort of dirty, slow metal song into something really cinematic. It's like Danny Elfman was norwegian do you know what i mean it's like it's (laughs) yeah it's fucking brilliant it's like some sort of tim burton-esque um heavy metal cinematic uh closing credits song or something it's it's and it's fucking brilliant it's yeah helena bonham carter would be in that film yeah (laughs) yeah for sure yeah yeah for sure um uh, yes i think so good the production sounds really big and really clear as well like there's quite a lot going on on some of these songs there's quite a lot of layers going on but it feels like you can hear everything really clearly all the time i mean if it weren't for the vocals it feels like this record could work really well on radio i think you know yeah um really well um whether that would happen because of the vocals i'm not sure but it, it re- unlikely unlikely 
But it reminded me of um, Meliora era Ghost quite a lot, you know, which I think is probably the best produced Ghost record and probably yep. the best one overall yep. as well. Um, totally agree. And those gothy kind of guitar undertones. and I, But I, I thought this could potentially, this blends in a lot of elements that aren't particularly accessible into a package that is actually relatively accessible. I can imagine people who don't tend to listen to metal sticking this on and potentially quite liking it you know so i hope you're right yeah i hope i hope you're right i think it's <clears throat> it's a tough one isn't it because i do think the like we've spoken tom and i we've spoken about vocals in metal before yeah and this is very definitely like those kind of for people who don't like this type of thing and who are not used to type of thing the vocals are a kind of an outlier where you yeah. go that can immediately turn somebody off yeah. i mean yeah. i think i like personally i think the vocals work very well within yeah, the agree. like i i've you know i think the, the vocals sound and it gives everything like the kind of like you said about the like a kind of creaky wizard it gives it a more it just gives it a more kind of um uh, sort of again i use the word arcane it's got a more arcane atmospheric feeling because of the vocals I yeah, think. Something I think not of if, this world. Yeah, and if you took that out, I actually think it wouldn't be as good a record. So I it's agree, a really totally. weird. It's it's a really weird Cats Twenty Two because if you don't have those vocals, I don't think it's quite as good a record. But if you do have that vocals, you do have the potential to hugely alienate a lot of people who, mm. you know, maybe. I, I think there's enough that's like in the leads and the guitar that are just so catchy that yeah, I think. Uh, you know an instrumental version of this may well make people go oh actually like maybe heavy metal isn't just a load of screaming and you know noise and nonsense and whatever mm -hmm. and, and it is produced so brilliantly and it's weird like we Renfrey and I were talking which has not come out yet but we were talking about that Bloodbath album mm -hmm. and I said those demo tracks that are the bonus tracks on the end of that record it sounds so great because it just sounds like it's been dug up from like a swamp and this is like the opposite of that. It's really massive and clear. And um, and so I think obviously both work. But yeah, I think if you were to if you were to play like a, a non-metal fan, either that Bloodbath album that we were talking about or this, I know which yeah. one is going to go down better with, yeah. with those two people. Yeah. But yeah, it's very good, this. Very good indeed. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned Meliora, Renfrey, because I... I had a very similar thought because i think the wilderness which is the last song on the album sounds like it does sound like a ghost song from that record mm. just with harsher vo vocals uh i mean it could actually either the first or third ghost records it could easily fit on because it's on it's got these kind of dancing descending melodies that make you kind of immediately think oh yeah we're in that territory now yeah. not you know watain or something like that mm. yeah yeah there was an article i read somewhere where um they describe tribulation as the band that you thought ghosts were when you first saw how they looked yes that's a very good <laughs> shout if that makes sense and yes i think that's basically true you know mm. so. yeah it's good i mean i think just to sort of close up it's a kind of a really euphoric sounding record and i love that like again for me and for what i like it's got a kind of the melancholic weight of something like christian death or some other beautiful gothic 80s sounding band with the sort of the nimble fingers and the bombast of the best of of metal and i really really love it it took me a few listens to really get into it properly but now um i really can't imagine that i won't come back to this album a lot mm. to be perfectly honest uh yeah, gents 
just to close up final thoughts on the on the records tom um i think my final thought is that it's it is again it's ultimately it's fun i would kind of say agree that it's definitely a grower so anyone who thinks who hears what we're saying and thinks that oh you you're gonna get into it and listen and love it immediately you might but i would reckon most people even you know committed metal fans are going to need three or four listens mm. before it really works its way in and that is a lot to do with the vocals because you hear the music and your brain is trained to expect hooks in the vocals as well mm. and while there are kind of there are aggressive hooks they are very aggressive hooks you know this is these less accessible vocals than the monomath higher register but it's <laughs> yeah. it's you know a monomath have got a lot of melody within the growls this is just kind of rasp the whole way through but it, it, there are kind of there are non-melodic hooks within it but it's all rhythmic mm. and mm. to do with the, the lyrics so don't expect to get straight into it but keep going because i thought at first oh i'm not sure if i like this other than the production which is great on first listen and now i'm going no this is fucking great i absolutely love this this is definitely 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 the best tribulation record and i'm so excited to see how this sounds live if they get a half decent venue and a half decent sound guy because they could absolutely slay crowds knowing how good they are live i am so so ready to go and see tribulation play these songs it's great yeah, me too. Uh, Renfrey? Wow. Um, yeah, I, I think this record is absolutely brilliant. Like, probably, maybe even the first great metal release of the year, potentially. Um, I think so. Uh, and, and I think it has enough accessibility. I mean, in, in Remembrance starts with an almost Lars Ulrich Black Album-esque stomp, you know, and you can imagine a lot of people getting into that kind of thing similarly out of the wolf has a kind of guitar line which sounds like it could have been written by robert smith you know so there's plenty of influences here and there's plenty of things in this music that could be could seek a larger bigger audience which would be cool to see whether that happens or not i don't know really but um i just think this is really high quality i like this a lot mm, i agree i agree with all of that uh where the gloom becomes sound is the name of the album the band of tribulation and you should very very definitely i think that what you said at the end the the first great metal record of 2021 for me undoubtedly it is yeah. undoubtedly Agreed. yeah no argument from me whatsoever good two for two hey right let's um hand over to you tom this is a regular feature that you do on your podcast so i'm going to completely hand over the reins to you now <laughs> now i can ruin your podcast <laughs> my cunning plan reveals itself no um yes uh, for, uh, this is a regular feature that we do i mean i try and do one every week unless we have a really big interview where in which case i drop it so when we, we had mina caputo on a few episodes back we will drop this feature for mina because it's mina um Mate, and i was gonna say just briefly fuck i love mina caputo so like, i love such life a good interview oh the best Anyway, and you know, Life of Agony, great band. So, and yeah. you know, also, it's like if there is one group within the LGBT community that really, really needs representation because they their problems are bigger, it's the trans community. So, to have someone like that who is so visible and such a an important musician in their own right, and who is so vocal and so you know clear about who she is, and that this is her, and you can either live with that 
or please fuck off is great. So yeah, having her was just a, an enormous thrill and was was we were really really pleased. Um, but yeah, other than that, we have a camp classic on basically every week. The camp classic is where uh, we and in this case, obviously me bring up a work from metals history which i think or my incoming co-host thinks uh we see in a very different way to the straight folks in the room uh and this week it is uh ramstein's zona uh and we're specific so we usually talk about a song uh sometimes we will talk about a full album there is definitely a full album one coming up um but there is, uh, in this case, we're more talking about the video. But before we get to that, uh, the first order of business, whenever I introduce one of these, uh, where do we stand on Ramstein, guys? Fans, not fans? I love Ramstein, man. Is the really right answer. Do. Yep, <laughs> it's definitely the right answer. It's interesting to be talking about this uh, amongst, um, you know, what, I guess what like I, I we for the record like just a little peek behind the curtain. Renfrey and I do not know what Tom is going to say about this video. We've been just told ah. to we've just been told to watch the video and come up with you know like what Theories. we think about it. Basically, I, I really like Ramstein. I think it's uh, they're an interesting band to be talking about um, because this for me kind of marked the point where Ramstein weren't in the UK and I think wouldn't well, yeah certainly in the UK they were definitely considered a bit of a joke when I was first listening to metal i remember metal hammer where they you know ramstein would headline massive european festivals and they you know they had the, the sort of their controversial run on family the family values tour and i remember getting that video and there's obviously the book dick um thing with the big spunking cock like in all this kind of stuff and i was like oh my goodness what is it? and i remember them getting such bad reviews and so kind of sneered at by the UK press. And then obviously they did the stripped Depeche Mode cover um, and the video with the footage of the film Olympia about the 1936 Olympics, which is, um, you know, used as a kind of Nazi power leverage around that time. And everyone was like, oh, look at them. They're terrible Nazi fucking sadomasochistic weirdos. And then, and that felt like that's, what most of the UK thought. And then Sonna came out and Mutter came along and suddenly it was like a 180 and everybody suddenly went, oh shit, we were completely wrong about this band. They're fucking brilliant. And I might be a little bit guilty of that myself, to be perfectly honest. Renfrey, similar thing for you or did you have a different take? Uh, more or less the same take. I absolutely love Rammstein. Um, certainly I remember, I remember there was a 1K uh, live review of Rammstein, wasn't there? Like, like That's seven. mad, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, which is mad to think. Um, I wonder if they regret that choice now. Yeah, but I don't pay. I didn't pay all that much attention to Ramstein until uh, Mutter came out. If I'm totally honest, so I didn't really join in with that. I didn't have a strong opinion one way or the other. Um, and uh, the seeing this video on um, Kerrang TV had just launched, and they gave away a free VHS cassette tape. Uh, with mm. that particular issue uh, and it had oh special k by placebo on it uh a muse song plug-in baby it had a bunch of videos it was just an advert for Kerrang tv effectively like half an hour and sonny was the final video on the video <laughs> uh, uh fe 
for younger listeners, a VHS tape was how we used to be able to watch videos before the internet existed. Yeah, pre-DVD. For anyone under the age of 21, that probably... What's a VHS tape? <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, it's like YouTube, but it was made of plastic. Yeah. And you could only have like 90 minutes of stuff on there. Yeah. And it was the size of your average paperback novel. It was yeah. fucking... <laughs> they were fucking massive. Yeah. yeah. It, it is not a form of media that anyone sensible... Um, misses um i I, similar story didn't really know i think i knew them a little bit before uh mutter but it was very much on singles because duhast had been in the matrix sound a few years earlier so i think i was i both knew and liked that but i didn't really know them very well really liked mutter and obviously since have uh gone back and listened to zen zucht and reiser reiser uh, that's my uh, terrible German. For oh, and and obviously since we've had Lieber ist für alle da, uh, which is the <laughs> about the limit of my German for the day, hopefully. Yeah. Um, I didn't like the last one, I have to admit. I, I liked the oh, single. No. I thought the lead single was brilliant. I thought the oh, rest great. of the album was very dull. Really? Um, yeah, I just I couldn't get into Pupa? it. Pupper? That's a great yeah, song. Pupa. Didn't do anything for me. Ooh. I really wanted to like it because I'm so invested in Ramstein and they're so great live. And yeah. I know when they finally come back, if I actually manage to get there, then they're going to play a load of songs off that. But I, yeah, I want I want the next record to be better, please. Um, huh. Which is strange because it's apart from um, uh, oh god, what was the one th- album everyone agrees is bad? Rose and uh, Rose and Rot. Apart from Rose and Rot, I basically liked you know everything they've done in mm. reasonable memory. Um, but let's move on to, to Zona. Um, as, as much as there is that fabulous Stephen Fry gag about how modern German is very camp, the, uh, the voice, my hand, my hand, my hand is forlorn, that, that joke. Um, this, is n- this is not, well, I'm not just making a, a joke about how modern German is camp. Um, I'm mainly talking about the video. Um, and I kind of, before I say what I saw, I'd like to know when you guys saw that video, and I saw this very much at the same time, so about mm. 2001 on Kerrang! TV was definitely my introduction to it. Uh, what did you guys see? Rimfrey? A really, a really cool Snow White drugs allegory. Um, uh, uh, yeah, do you just want me to talk about what I saw then as opposed to what I see now? Either is good. Okay. I'm, I get, what I'm I'm getting at is is what do you when you view the video either now or before? What were your takeaways from it? Well, rewatching it earlier today, uh, I mean, I think the video is clearly about power, power dynamics. You've got dominance and submission, and the dwarfs seem to fear Snow White as much as they love her. You know, and she does quite terrible things to them as well. Although things that they really like. Um, you could also argue it's about loss of innocence because you're taking a fairy tale, something which is invariably usually for children and giving it a dark adult spin, especially with all the drugs takings and all that sort of stuff. Um, I saw a Reddit forum that suggested that Snow White might be the sun that's referred to in the song's lyrics, which I thought was quite an interesting idea so she gives the dwarves life and purpose and sustains them but she can also hurt them if they get too close uh and of course ancient civilizations used to worship the sun as the dwarves do snow white in the video and all that kind of thing so i think it's yeah it's about power plays and dominance and um how that can get to your head and cause you to die and then an apple falls on your glass coffin and you're actually alive 
<laughs> I like the end bit. That's not an it's, allegorical It's a classic thing, tale. It? It's happened to many of us. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you've basically covered probably what I saw in it as well, Renfrey, other than... Um, it's got like in terms of the actual style, like stylistic look of the video as well. Um, I always felt like it was there was a kind of nod to Anton Corbin, who does a lot of we've talked about on our Depeche Mode special, but particularly his video for Atmosphere by Joy Division, which is the post Ian Curtis um, death video, the kind of tribute death. To, and I thought like a lot of there's a bit where he stood on I don't know if it's Richard who stood on the mountain with the massive guitar and i was like oh that's really and when as they carry it carry her up the mountain in that video there's like hooded figures carrying um a kind of effigy of ian curtis um through the desert so i was like oh so, you know i'm sure they're influenced by joy division um and i i did see that kind of a little bit of atmosphere in it as well so other than what renfrey says in terms of the actual look of the video there's that as well but i've got a feeling that that's not what you're gonna talk about tom you are correct, because um, <laughs> I found it quite difficult to concentrate on all, all that stuff when this used to come on Kerrang! TV and MTV2 back in the day. Uh, for any, Again, for anyone under the age of about 25, uh, Kerrang! TV and MTV2 were music channels, so that's something on your television, not on YouTube, uh, which played videos uh, that, and that included rock music. Yes, that actually used to happen on Still your does. regular telly. Still does. Still does. It what, it does. Kerrang! I've TV? Got, I've got Kerrang! TV. Bloody hell! My, yeah, but, uh, and MTV Two, yeah, yeah. But Generation Z doesn't know what telly is; they don't use it. They've got That's they've true. got they've got the internet. Why would they bother? They've, if you they get have, Sky yeah. Go on your mobile, you can get music television, probably. Okay, there well, um, <laughs> there we go. Um, I but anyway, when I was about seventeen, when this used to come on, maybe sixteen, uh, and I I was obviously not paying too much attention to Snow White herself when she was on screen. Uh, and I spent most of the time it was on noticing that God doesn't Richard Crusper have really nice shoulders and really nice arms, um, and that actually back then not so much now because he made some very poor choices with his hairstyles. Um, I just I found it very difficult to concentrate. I'm guessing that wasn't a problem either of you had, unless unless you were having a similar issue with well, uh, Snow White herself. Only with Snow White for me. There's yeah. a bit. There's a bit where she's in the bath. OD'd yeah. and you can nearly you're wondering can I see her nipple <laughs> and that was at, at sort of 20 21 I probably did probably want to see her nipple but it's so quick it's not an it's not an elongated enough period of time I mean again going back to to videos trying to pause the video uh, on night, a frame is very night, very though. difficult so I probably just didn't bother but yeah no I I, I didn't notice that although I have always thought I mean Ramstein are clearly all of them are quite other than Flarker very well put together group of gentlemen like yes i mean depending on slightly on your personal taste there's there's differing uh grades but you know that's that's all personal taste there are there mm. are none of them who would be automatic paper bag jobs um <laughs> but i and i i'm being quite i i try very hard on Melbourne <clears throat> metal not to get objectified for the very simple reason that there are enough lechy straight men in the world and that's kind of gross and becoming mm. a lechy gay man doesn't actually do anything to make it better it just adds to the problem of lechy men so i try is, really hard this is starting to, to feel like an intervention yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the reason i try uh, the reason i'm bringing it up though 
is that within all the stereotypes that abound about people like me and all the jokes I have made on the show in one of our regular features about man, how Manor's lack of manscaping gave them away as you know straight men wearing loincloths <laughs> rather than actual members of, of my community, <laughs> it is important to not lose track of the fact that the defining characteristic of being gay is that you fancy other blokes. <laughs> and when I was 16 and this was on the telly and I was noticing Richard Crusper and all the other blokes in the or boys I suppose in the room were, were noticing the woman um I was not and that's that is something I don't want people to forget because it's sometimes forgotten and I should also probably say that if I'm not quite honest I was quite uncomfortable about the whole thing because I didn't want anyone to notice that I was noticing was that a moment that um helped define your sexuality then tom was that... absolutely not he's no. not my type even slightly okay. <laughs> but it's you know what it's like when you're a teenager because you've you know your brain is just not really kind of it's not really listening to that conscious bit of your brain that says you should be looking here it's mm. it's trying to t it's trying to tell you who you are and what you're interested in that you haven't quite worked out yet because you haven't had to deal with those things yeah. before yeah. so mm. my brain was basically trying to tell send me signals you are interested in this. Please pay attention. You are interested in this. Please pay attention. Well, my brain was kind of desperately going, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. They'll notice you're looking at the bloke. Look at the bird. And that was, you know, that's the kind of, that's what was happening very much. And it's, I'm, I, the, my kind of question is, if you were watching it in a room with other people, because, you know, you're at a house party and MTV2 was on or whatever, um, would it have been uncomfortable to for people to notice you noticing Snow White? Maybe you can see a nipple, in the same way that it was for uh, for me wondering if they can they're noticing me noticing Richard Crisp's arms. Well, pro I mean, probably. I mean, that's the sort of the. I guess that's the thing about it, isn't it? It's probably not. No. I mean, probably at, at that time. If uh, yeah, I mean, I I don't remember if we used to look at Snow White's nipple when I was a kid. In in all honesty, but yeah, I mean, I guess. It's funny you bring this up, like I, not to go too much into my own personal life or my, but my best mate in the whole that like I've been mates with since I was like at primary school, um, he came. We were having a conversation the other week, and I hope he doesn't mind me bringing this up. I'm sure he wouldn't, but um, he came out at age 15 at school, and we I went and saw him the other week, and we were playing Super Mario World, and we we're like, oh, it's just like when we used to do this at school, and we started talking about school, and he kind of said to me, the first few years at school when I sort of realised that I was gay. And I couldn't tell anyone was so difficult, like trying to keep and realizing how you were different from other people. Um, and when the boys would be like, oh, look at her, she's fit or whatever. And you didn't feel like that at all. And he said that was that's left a real mental scar that he still kind of carries around with him today. Even, you know, though he came out at the age. And, I, and to be honest, you know, we hadn't really had that conversation before and to that extent and i was really like sort of genuinely shocked like oh yeah you know i guess i've i've never even considered how difficult or how unsettling that must be to sort of first start to understand that you are different from people but you're not really meant or you don't feel like you're meant to tell people and i think it's had like it's had a quite a seriously detrimental effect on his mental health throughout the rest of his life and it was you know, it's gen like genuinely quite. We we ended up getting quite upset about the whole thing, and um, and I I felt really bad that I'd never kind of considered that for him before. Um, 
so yeah i mean i guess that doesn't really answer your question to be honest tom but i think it's certainly something which is um always worth like at this point as an old at my age it's definitely something which i think we should make a point of trying to always consider in people yeah and i i think it's it's definitely true as well that there are plenty of people who spend a very long time in the closet who don't come out at 15 and i'm I'm thinking i got really cross when a load of people were being angry at philip schofield because i was going you have no idea what the fuck it's like how would how on earth would you know like if he's the only time it's not kind of you should always come out when as soon as you feel ready the only time it's acceptable to out someone and get cross about someone for not being out sooner is if they are using their platform to harm other queers. So if you've got some kind of homophobic hate preacher who's you know spouting about how gays going to hell while sneaking off to smoke crack out of a rent boy's navel, which famously happened, um, mm. then you know that's bad. But if if it's just a dude who's still working himself out, like yes, it does do an enormous amount of damage being in the closet. It's horrible. But you can't come out until you've come out yourself. Until you are ready to say, no, this is who I am and I'm comfortable with it and I'm happy about it. And I'm, you know, I, I'm happy for the world to see me. Then you can't possibly come out to everyone else. Mm. So, you know, it, it's the thing that if that takes you till you're in your 50s, it takes you until you're in your 50s. Different people work at different paces. Um, and I really do kind of, I really wish people were aware that that's the case. The thing that's going to change things is the more people are aware that heteronormativity is not very healthy <laughs> and that there are lots of people who aren't like that. And yeah. that, you know, something like 7% of the human population by kind of recent estimates are one stripe of the LGBT community or another. Um, and you know there are various other things that are only now being counted in that's why there's the plus off the lgbt that a few years ago people just didn't consider existed that have to be tallied into that as well and that's what i i kind of always like people to keep sight of is that when you're kind of be aware that not everyone is is thinking the same thing you are because the people who are thinking that way are probably not quite uncomfortable about it because christ i was and everyone i've spoken to who's about coming out has felt really uncomfortable while they're in the closet yeah and that i mean that to me seems and it seems like you know the idea of the amount of times i've seen that ramstein video and i've just been like oh it's a ramstein video and yet you go well it kind of stirred up some feelings which were kind of uncomfortable for me and i'm like i wonder i do kind of wonder how i would have reacted to that as you know as a as a 20 i mean at 20 i think i was sort of all right with it you know but i guess at a younger age when um back then yeah it might have been something where i would have gone oh what hey why are you looking at snow white like and you know i I think it's definitely i again it's great that you bring this stuff up and it's great that you talk to people because hopefully like it's again it's something that renfrey and i without wanting to put words in your mouth renfrey um it's something that we just i guess our ignorance and non-consideration of stuff like that is kind of beyond our beyond our means of you know whatever the end of the sentence is. <laughs> we, we, <laughs> don't we, is we don't think about that stuff because we're not forced into a position where we have to 
I think is probably mm. the. Oh, I feel bad saying that, but you know that, like b- b- you know, um, like like it, it hadn't occurred to me at all looking at the Sonny video today that like I'd look at you know the members of the band over Snow White. You know that isn't, and it hadn't occurred to me that someone else might be thinking those things and thinking I can't express that sort of thing. You know, I haven't had to sort of contend with that sort of thing. Um, so it's really good to hear that kind, that kind of testimonial and take it to heart and realize that there are people who do have to go who do have to um experience things that you might never have to as someone who fits into this um bracket of being uh the cis white dude yeah 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 Yeah. Mm. i mean one thing i would say is that i think I think the absence of Section 28 is going to make it an awful lot easier as time goes on and people being mm. out more and people being more aware of this and making sure that just the existence of queer people is something that's mentioned at a, an earlier age, um, despite the fact there have been various people in government who've tried to stop it. Um, that will help an awful lot because just saying, you know what, guys, some boys like boys is is massive for people like me because it just t- it just means we don't have to explain yeah we exist sorry we're yeah. here can't really do anything about it i mean you could but you know we, we we that's that would be fairly horrific so you know don't do that just kind of deal with it hmm. um yeah i mean do you know the my mate i was talking about apparently like i didn't know this but apparently he he came out 15 and our art teacher who he really likes came up to him and said, "What's this stuff you're saying about that? You know that you're you're gay to everyone?" And he said, yeah, I, "I think I am." And she went, oh, "I think you're just showing off," and walked off. Fucking teacher. Yeah, a Nin- lot of people get that. 1996, everyone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, and that's why a load of people didn't come out in school because they saw that happen to other people. And went, yeah, university. I'll wait until yeah, then because yeah. you know, then they could you know, I can tell them to piss off. Mm. I can't do that here. Yeah. Um, um, anyway, but, uh, yeah. Go on. Uh, I've, what I was going to say, just to, to kind of round things up and finish off, that uh, you know, even aside from all that, what we spoke about, you know, even if uh, Ramstein had kept their shoulders out of sight, and I hadn't noticed that they were, they had, you know, one of them had very nice arms. Uh, it, this would still be a pretty gay video because it's six German dudes living in a hut with one woman, and they only appear to have one bath. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that needs any more explanation. <laughs> um, I think me and my my new partner in crime will have another camp classic next week on Hellbent for Metal. Uh, that is come, will be out uh, on Monday. I should have said at the start we're out every Monday for Right Act listeners. Uh, every Monday, and our next one will be on February the eighth. Um, mm. From there, I think I should probably hand back to Steve so we can talk about some more music. Yeah, you should. Uh, yes, you should. <laughs> um, uh, right. Yeah, so don't talk about that gay shit anymore. Let's get on. <laughs> yeah, you've had your say. Come on, get on with it. Um, <laughs> anyway, sorry, mate. Um, yes, I, uh, I, I, uh, I also want to say what a fucking great riff, Sonna. By the way, oh, should yeah. just say what a fucking great, absolutely killer, yeah, absolutely wicked song. By the way, also, um, but let's move on. I think this is quite a good transition. Talking about sexy men, Martin Gore, <laughs> Martin fucking Gore. Uh, the EP, his third EP, it's called the Third Chim- Chimpanzee. Martin Gore is 
I hear the word genius thrown around a lot these days. There's a lot of hyperbole and people use the word genius. Next time, little tip for you all, next time you're going to use the word genius, why not instead use the words Martin Gore? <laughs> Martin Gore is one of the greatest men ever to have walked the planet. Now, I just want to get that out of the way before we start talking about the music on this EP. EP-wise, this is the first standalone EP of Martin Gore's career. Um, the previous solo work that he did uh, was the MG album in 2015. The EP that followed that was kind of remixes of songs from that record, which he's done a couple of times before. So this is the first time we're getting material released in this format, which is utterly unconnected to something that has already been released. Um, Martin Gore obviously is in one of my favourite bands in the world ever and he might just be the best member of one of the best bands ever he's sort of an actual perfect human being a legitimate god walking this planet um, so that's what I think about Depeche Mode I know Renfrey has definitely thawed to Depeche Mode since I bombarded him with um, <laughs> with them time and time again since we've been doing this show but Tom I'm quite intrigued what are your thoughts and feelings towards Depeche Mode I feel like as a sort of metal fan, given it like death is everywhere, there are flies on the windscreen after <laughs> all. It's quite metal. I thought if you were going to like a sort of pop band, Depeche Mode would be fairly likely for the metal ticket to get on board with. I, I'm, I'm gay, dude. There's lots of pop bands. So I like to, th there, are some <laughs> yeah. there are some cliches, which uh, unfortunately I do subscribe to. Um, I, I will say that I like Depeche Mode, but it's very much the be the greatest hits. I would be absolutely lying through my teeth if I said I'd ever ever kind of dug into any specific album, with the possible exception of I have a thing I listened to Violator once because someone said listen to that because it sounds like Host by um, uh, Paradise Lost. You might like it. Um, <laughs> I mean that uh, is damning with faint praise, I have to say. But go on, yeah. Uh, uh, well, I, I quite like Host, but um, you know, I liked Host before I liked the Pesh Mode, and I think that's probably the wrong way round to to listen to it um, in your eyes. Um, Definitely, yeah. I mean, and also because you know Violator's got Personal Jesus on, and everyone mm -hmm. in the world knows. And and if you don't like that song, I. I would really worry about you, frankly. It's a fucking great song. You're, I, I, you're pathetic if you don't like that song. Let's let me say how it is. You're I, pathetic if you don't like that song. Carry on, Tom. Um, Steve, I will. Let, no, I don't agree with that. But you know, <laughs> I, 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 I struggle I to. I struggle to imagine how the, how you couldn't because I think that's a great song. It's just one of those. I can't put myself in that mindset. I'm not entirely sure I want to. But yeah, so you know, Violator. I'm pretty sure I've listened to. And mm -hmm. I've definitely heard of the greatest hits and like them, but never to the extent that I would kind of buy an album and sit down and listen to it really keenly. It's a little bit outside my comfort zone, I think. Okay, fair enough. Well, I'm glad that we've uh, sort of sorted that. So I think we're coming at it from three sort of slightly different angles. Renfrey, you call yourself a Depeche Mode fan now? Is that fair? Have I bullied you into being a Depeche Mode fan? I think when we did the specials, I said I really like music for the masses, but I, I, okay. I, I've not discovered anything else that I've really liked by them. So not quite. Unbelievable. Um, I, I'm going to start this off then. I quite like that this isn't Martin Gore just doing... Like I, I, I wondered if this might be the Depeche... You know, Martin Gore does 
songs that he fronts on Depeche Mode albums usually does the more kind of haunting melancholic melodic songs like I mean to bring up the music for the masses ones Renfrey the things you said or I want you now were two that we spoke about as well they're very Martin Gore and I wondered if we might get a full EP of that kind of thing um but it isn't that at all it's vocal free slightly yeah very ambient electronic music that I think does bear a lot of the hallmarks of tonally of martin gore's music that he makes in depeche mode but it's still different enough to be its own entity um the opening throb of howler uh sounds hard and i know a lot of people think about depeche mode as a sort of pop band but as we discussed a lot on here i think they can be a very very deep dark and heavy band and i'd argue that the sort of the opening to howler the opening track on here is more in line with stuff like Nietzsche Reb and Square Pusher or the Black Dog, something far more dirty sounding than what you would usually consider 80s pop. This is not the same as Stephen Wilson at all. It um it really sort of stalking first song, and I think it sets the EP up very nicely. Um but anyway, gents, uh let's go to you first, Remfrey. What do you think about this EP? Um, I think that Howler song, it, it sets up a minimalist approach, which I think most of the EP um, goes down in that it will start with a few ideas and then build upon them and build and build and build and build. Um, Howler, I, I thought Howler could have been like an alternate soundtrack to Blade Runner. It has that lovely oriental thing that it goes into towards the end, but also has that Vangelis kind of played on synths vibe to it. Yep. Um, I wrote exactly the same thing there. <coughs> yeah. Literally the same thing that I said it sounds like, you know, what Vangelis had done with the Blade Runner score. Yeah. But if he dis he if he'd been asked to switch soundtrack a short nature documentary. <laughs> so that so almost exactly the same take. So I think that's that probably suggests that it's it's there, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And I've got no problem with that at all. That sounds great to me. I think there's a dark dystopian sort of rain soaked vibe that permeates through many of these songs like mandrill um which fans of the likes of carpenter brew or perturbator will at least be familiar with even if gore isn't trying to do exactly the same thing as those artists do um i can almost immediately hear the talk talk influence certainly in terms of building up the instrumentation it's just mm -hmm. gores using you know more electronic instrumentation um rather than the more natural acoustic stuff that hollis would go for um i think this is a, a an interesting engaging instrumental ep i don't love it i don't hate it um but i think i i absolutely think what you said um there steve about uh, it retains a Depeche Mode sense without, you know, totally ripping them off. I think that's totally true. Um, and I think it's interesting. I'm curious to know. Uh, I, I know we need to hear what Tom thinks. But as the Depeche Mode fan here, is, mm -hmm. this, is the third chimpanzee an essential release for Depeche Mode fans? Or is it more of a curio for the diehards? Well, I, I mean, I think there's things on here... I, I'm kind of I'm kind of with you. I mean, I think there's um, I really like Mandrill, which has a similar sort of pace and vibe to the the opening song. Slow and kind of brooding, very kind of mechanical sounding, and it doesn't sound as warm as what Depeche Mode have been doing for a long time. And I really enjoy that kind of distinction between the sounds. I mean, I 
you know, this goes back to kind of Black Celebration era, but when you take Dave Gahan out of Depeche Mode, um, you lose the hook. Like, do you know what I mean? You lose a big part of why they're such a massive band. And, and I'm kind of cool with that. I think it gets odder um, as it goes on. I think it becomes a bit more broken, a bit less uh, propulsive. Um, and there's a bit more of the sort of Boards of Canada style random stabs of noise. And I really think Martin Gore's good at layering music and he's really good at understanding those sort of more modern influences and capturing that style. And I think it all gets taken to its logical conclusion with Vervet, which is eight minutes long. It's got a kind of a beat that underpins everything, but it's colored by many, many different soundscapes over the top. So you get a lot of variety, I think, which keeps you interested, which is quite important in this music, but it's also got a relentless beat that sort of drives everything along as well. And here's the thing. I think if you're going to go solo, you might as well do something that you wouldn't usually do in your day job. And I think that's what Martin Gore's done here. And I think fair play to him. Like, obviously, this is, as a Depeche Mode fan, is this essential? Probably not essential. But I think it's different enough whilst retaining enough of his personality that you are already aware of for you to at least be interested in it, I would say. So it's pretty good. Hmm. Um, I wonder what Tom thinks about it. Hmm. I'm... Uh, I, I worried i was going to um end up being you know rapidly and forcefully uninvited from this podcast uh, <laughs> uh, when i was initially initially kind of putting my thoughts together for this uh i think i'm i'm fairly in line i think uh, uh, i'm if i'm out of my comfort zone with depeche mode i've no idea where the hell i am here because <laughs> as much as you say it's you know for fans of perturbator i bloody love perturbator and i yeah i'm here so much in territory that i don't really understand what i'm hearing that i almost I almost feel like there's a load of stuff I need to go away and listen to before I even start. However, there are pl going to be plenty of people who love Depeche Mode and come to this in a similar position, so fuck it. Um, I think that there are bits of this which are bloody great, but it's so conceptual. Because mm. it's the thing I, I kind of... I, I felt a lot of this is playing with stuff that I think I should like, and I'm not as into it as I want to be why what's mm. it not doing and i th i kind of worked out that the thing it was doing that i i hadn't quite got at first is that it's not really melodies that he's using in in the the, the stuff the components that the electronic components that sound like this should be me melodic because all the re little refrains that he uses are ten tend to be kind of massive cross octave jumps and it's really kind of weird and unsettling and evocative but it's not really a tune and i think that's kind of i was either expecting it to be more wacky and zany well not wacky and zany i was expecting it to be more kind of head fucky mm -hmm. or i was expecting it to have more tune to it and as it kind of falls somewhere in between i i'm a little bit less on board with it than i would like to be that said I really like the um, song that sounds like Vangelis because you had the uh, which was that Howler. uh, Howler's End. Howler. Yeah, yeah. How yeah, that that one? I went no, that's great, um, and I really enjoyed that. And the, the the more kind of rhythmically aggressive stuff, I was really on board with, particularly Vervet, because uh, that was kind of dark and dancey, and even yeah. if it wasn't kind of strictly melodic, melodic, I, I felt that the the ideas were communicating their atmosphere much better, uh, and it felt like 
you know, shit's about to go down, but it hasn't quite done yet. And that I thought was really good. It felt really tense. Um, I think, though, that taken as a kind of body of work, I'm unlikely to go back to it, if I'm completely brutally honest. As much as I, I want to be on board with it, I don't <clears> think <throat> I am. Mm. I think I'd back most of that. I think I'd back the majority of that. Yeah, I think you put that in a really good way in terms of it falling in between two stools. You know, it, it does kind of feel more ethereal and not there as uh, than it should do, I think. It, it's kind of goes in one ear, comes out the other a little bit. Um, yeah. But I enjoy it when it's on. But I don't think about it much after. It's, it's probably the record I've thought about the least after listening to it this this week if that makes sense definitely agree with that yeah uh, i mean you know i'm i i think in if this was your your main day job your main gig and this is what you were putting out i would probably go it's all right but really nothing special at all but i think as an exercise in martin gore deliberately going out of his way i think to do something which is completely unlike what he does in Depeche Mode and what he does in his day job, his massive, massive stadium selling day job to just do something a bit different. Um, and to, you know, to to take all of those sort of warp records influences and have a go at doing that. You know, I think it's it's a curio, isn't it? It's interesting. Yeah. It's it's interesting to hear an artist that you really or that I really love do something that they don't usually do and still but yet still retain a sense of going i mean i can't sit here and pretend that if someone played this to me and i didn't know what it was i'd go oh that's martin gore mm. you know or, or oh that's a depeche mode do you know what i mean I, i'm i'm not sure that i would do that um but i think when you do know that you can go oh yeah you know there's kind of the sort of thing that he was doing on like construction time again when they were making their own samples and stuff like that idea from the the earlier when Depeche Mode were just going out and banging spanners on fucking, you know, gates and stuff and recording it and then looping it. Like they somehow managed to turn that into pop music. And I think there's a sense of there, there's, there's definitely a sense of like that level of like, Oh, we can just, I can just make some kind of not very tangible, graspable noise, but instead of turning it into a pop song, I'm actually not really going to turn it into anything that is that tangible. And I, I think like it's, it's interesting put it that way. It's as, as someone who is, you know, far more of a, an obsessive of the artist in question. I'm, I'm always going to be interested in it. Will I go back to it? I mean, possibly, possibly a couple of songs. I think Vervet, as you mentioned, Tom is great. And I think the, the Perturbator comparison is certainly New Model, the last Perturbator EP that came out. There's there's a bit of that. But I think people like Carpenter Brute and Ghost and Perturbator and all that, they are going out of their way to hook you. And I don't really feel yeah. like this is, I don't even really feel like he is bothered about hooking you in. It feels like a very, you know, he writes songs for Depeche Mode for stadiums full of people to, to sing along to. And this is him going, well, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to yeah. do that. And I think that's, you know, that's cool. If you're interested in that band, it, I guess it depends how much you're interested in Depeche Mode. I'm very interested in Depeche Mode, so I probably will at least keep an eye on 
I always keep an eye on what you know the members do but um yeah i mean it's it's definitely not essential by any stretch of the imagination mm. okay i think the one interesting thing to add is that there are moments of it where you can really tell where these kind of things you know this kind of bit of his brain has clearly influenced other people mm. um because there's uh, there's other stuff that i've heard that i've gone oh this sounds like that but because it's it's martin gore it's almost certainly that the person whose stuff i've heard earlier is actually influenced by this and the thing that kind of re- did you ever see the the mini series of the battlestar galactica reboot no i didn't no okay so the that the that had a slightly uh, had a different composer to the main series and that had this kind of really weird mostly electronic but often kind of lots of cross octave jumping with you know an electronic drive to it but kind of often quite minimalist structure and it was it really reminded uh, i these two remind me them me of each other um and it was the reason I bring that one up specifically is that the composer for the miniseries was a guy called Richard Gibbs, who has been a keyboard player in a bunch of synth bands himself. So I would be shocked to bits if it turned out he hadn't been listening to Martin Gore. And as much as this might not necessarily be a central release, what I do like is when I hear an artist and for the first time realize, oh, that thing I like already, you influenced and I just haven't spotted it. Yeah. So that I did think was cool. Mm. yeah i that i totally agree with that i'm sure this is a mixture of him it's it's a it's a secular thing i think where stuff that he did influenced a bunch of artists and he's now listening to them and doing a version of them so that in itself is is fairly interesting but um yeah the third chimpanzee ep by martin i think we've basically covered everything we need to cover on that haven't we uh is out now um you know it's 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 probably if you're a super fan then it's probably worth you going in on. Uh, if you're not interested in Depeche Mode, I'd say probably go and listen to Depeche Mode first. <laughs> go and listen to Black Celebration, the music for Masses and Violator and all of those records because they're fucking brilliant. But um, yes, let's move on to our next record from Accept. <coughs> too, oh, mean, yes. too Mean to Die by Accept, the 16th studio album from the German heavy metal legends. This is their first album with their new bassist, Martin Motnik and new guitarist, Philip Schaus. I think they got three guitarists. Of course they have. Uh, the follow up to 2017's rising chaos, which I haven't heard. In fact, I'm going to be honest with you here. I'm not sure I've ever heard uh, an accept album in its entirety all the way through. And it probably won't surprise listeners of riot act to learn that Renfrey and I had pretty much no intention of covering this record whatsoever until tom pointed it out to us so um tom i and know until, you... and until the release date got got moved because initially this was going to be last week so i wouldn't be able to do it but they uh moved the uh, release date back a week and i just went should we do this then <laughs> um and, and, and steve stupidly said yes yeah so look i know a few accept songs they're heavy metal royalty understand that i haven't heard much that i felt um like I, I don't know. I, I know a few songs, basically. But um, do you want to give us the lowdown on why you were so... Because you were very keen to do this, Tom. Let's not beat around the bush I was here. very keen. There was like, I, I was off the fence pretty much straight away. There was no kind of... Hmm. No mystique about what I was going to think. Basically, except are like the classic German straight-up heavy metal band. And, you know, they're kind of 
Germany's entry to the heavy metal world was a little bit later, and and except not necessarily the biggest band they've had, but for they are absolute royalty there because when heavy metal was really kind of a British thing when it was the new wave of British heavy metal except were there and they did some absolutely classic albums uh, and they've actually already one of the classic albums have already been featured on Hellbent for Metal because um, there's some really gay looking artwork which I don't think was intended to look as you know absolutely Tom of Finland as it is um, <laughs> so right actors may want to go back and check that out uh, they did however split out for quite a long time so you know they kind of went the way of the dodo in the 90s with a lot of other metal um which you know was blamed on nirvana but i blame record executives being thick um not all of them obviously some are really good but there were some really poor decisions made and they ended up pissing off in about 1997 i think and then came back in in 2010 um as far as i could tell because you know they decided they wanted to do it again their singer, though, is was is new from them. They originally had Udo Dirk Schneider. Yeah, I was going to uh, say he's the who is main... a solo artist in his right, in mm. his own right. Um, and they got this uh, guy called Mark Tornillo in, and he's fucking great, and absolutely suits them perfectly. And it's real kind of this kind of this kind of um, if it, it's a very heavy metal <clears> voice, <throat> but you can tell from the melodies that he's done a lot of other things. Because it's much more kind of rock and roll and bluesy and and kind of uh, cool than you know your traditional metal uh, rhythmic sense, uh, even if actually the voice itself is kind of pure trad. Um, <laughs> and I have to say, everything they've done since they've been back, really, I wasn't so keen on the last record. I thought that was all right, but it's just all right. Uh, but mostly the records they've done since they've got back have been really fucking good. And as much as you might not have, have listened, sit down and listened to any of them, I would really recommend that Blood of Nations uh, and Stalingrad are two records that if you like straight up heavy metal, most people should listen to in their entirety because they're just really good songs. Um, so I came into this with quite a lot of expectation. Oh. Renfrey, do you want to add your 10 cents to I, the accept I, story? I almost feel like Tom should say how he feels about it and then I should uh, say why I don't I tell feel you what, that way about it. <laughs> i tell you what, let, let me tell you how I feel about okay. it, right? And then I'm going to bring you in. So, I mean, I, you know, we weren't that excited about reviewing this, to be fair, but I did see that Andy Sneap produced it, so I was like, well, this is going to at least sound as good as it can possibly sound, I would imagine. And as I press, press play, I was greeted by... The sharp and cutting sounds of old school heavy metal guitar and the tone and clarity of that was so meaty and satisfying that I just felt myself warming to it immediately. I mean, that first riff on the record is a beauty. There's no getting away from it. It's a fucking beauty, right? I'm not imagining that, am I? Is that not me going? I've no, it's lost killer. My... Yeah, it's great. And Mark Tornillo's vocals come in. Is that yes. right? Yeah, so... It's sounding very much like Udo, and I, I so much so that I genuinely thought I'd misremembered that he wasn't in the band anymore. And that kind of scrunched up, you know, like you say, that whiskey drinking, rock and roll, nasally tone, a bit like a sort of leather trousered Brian Johnson. I mean, I really loved the first song, and against all of my better judgment, um, and assuming that I was probably I was going to go, oh, this is a bit old and plodding, and just a bunch of ideas I'd heard before. I mean, I feel like I have heard all of the ideas in it before and there's nothing vaguely contemporary about it or new about it but that's all right because doing a thing that has been done this well and doing it this well 
is absolutely fine with me. I thought the first song I was like, I'm so on board with this and I'm fine with that. Um, but I know who isn't all right with that. Renfrey, <laughs> <laughs> you said many, many times on this show that bands just playing metal <coughs> just kind of isn't really going to float your boat so much anymore. No, it's just not for me. I, it's just, I, I, I do just hear a bunch of ideas that I've heard before and I hear that the people playing them are quite, old i mean they have a they have a vigor to what they're doing and they're clearly enjoying themselves but it just it just i'm just not interested in this side of heavy metal i don't think um it sounds like judas priest being fronted by acdc's brian johnson you already mentioned brian johnson i mean that on paper there's nothing wrong with that at all you know i can i can accept that but it also doesn't sound like a band who's massively for me really um mark tornillo uh i i I find his vocals far too cheesy for my tastes i cannot get behind the cheesy vibes i'm afraid tom i'm sorry to say i think this is very much at the shallow end of my cheese (laughs) (laughs) so so if if you're not going to get on with this then there's an awful lot on my record collection that you should just pretend doesn't exist yeah well my favorite song on the record is samson and delilah at the end because it's instrumental um i will get to, i will get to that in a bit because there's some, there's an interesting point about that but yeah, I, that is that is a a really good example of how you can do instrumental metal well mm, yeah it's really good actually instrumental metal metal well. <laughs> Il- instrumental if i could speak english podcasts will be more interesting but yeah <laughs> and yeah no i love the middle eastern vibes on that track i think it's a really yeah i think it's a great example of a great instrumental metal song um i I don't really want to rubbish this because it's so obviously not for me so i don't feel like i should i think it'd be a really cheap thing to to rubbish this so i'm not going to but at the same time definitely not my cup of tea not my bag go on tell us what you really think about it (laughs) i won't i won't take offense i think the lyrics are dreadful i like (laughs) there's that song okay i would suck i would absolutely get off i will uh, be with you entirely on the song uh overnight sensation that that which is, oh. that that's like as much as like as musically great lyrically it is the most okay it's boomer thing awful. i have ever heard that is you know not racist they sound like, really it, old it, on that song it, they really it sounds do. like warrant that song i was like that was a point where i was like oh i tell you what they go power metal on the next song and i'm like thank god they're going power metal like as someone who <laughs> fucking hates power metal i was like thank god they're going power metal and they're not doing this sunset strip shit anymore that i they sound yeah. and lyrically it is dreadful there's that, that, that yeah. song is on that song is inexcusable for anyone under the age of 50 i think that was the point where i was just like i, I can't do this i'm so sorry and i had to listen to it in two sittings as a result of that song alone i think um there's that line i want to be famous for nothing like a kardashian and I'm just like, you're in your fifties. Why are you talking about the Kardashians? Like, <laughs> don't. Ah, oh, it's, and it's such low hanging fruit as well. Like, yeah. if you're going to actually do a critique yeah. of, of you know influencer culture, at least go for someone who isn't like just so obvious because it just sounds like you haven't actually got a clue what you're talking about. Yeah, I would. It, I as much as I love this album, and I should say again, it's for Helbert for metal listeners. This is one of this week's entrance into the hate crew gay bar jukebox because i love this record that song's lyrics are indefensible yeah i i really like the title track i thought it was a good thrash a a thrasher 
and it's got a great again a great riff i mean the ludicrousness of overnight sensation i mean yeah you're right don't pick on it why don't you go and pick on craig from big brother you fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just really weird nasty nick that's relevant <laughs> <laughs> um and you know i think at, le- at least in the first four you've got a, a, it's all metal but it's at least you know there's a, a couple of a few different stylistic changes to it which shows a slightly different side to all of them which you know not every song sounds the same so you know i don't have any beef with this i can't say i really love all of it but i've definitely got no beef with it at all i mean i don't like the song the undertaker which is a sort of ballad it's got like a wizard of oz flying monkey chant in the oh, middle of it God. which I, yeah, I wasn't that, that keen on it that's the lead single as well i don't that's get mental. why they've chosen that it's like it's one of the worst songs on the record it's yeah. one of the very few in that first half of the record where i don't think at least the song is good as much as the lyrics to overnight sensation suck mm. it, that's that song is poor yeah it's not great i mean it's not great there are a few on here where i'm like this is definitely not great um symphony of pain i think it's pretty good as well Symphony and... Pain's great and references um, the uh, last movement of the Ninth Symphony by Beethoven, but it puts it into a minor key, mm. which is really interesting because that's normally in, that's the original version is in D major and they put it in in a minor key, and I thought that was really clever and I thought it worked really well. So that mm. song I really liked. Yeah, and I mean you mentioned Samson Delilah; it's a pretty decent way to end the record as well. I think you know there's there's a there's and would I mean? Am I going to listen to this again? Probably not. To be perfectly honest, I would probably rather. But that's not to say I don't like Accept. I mean, I would. If you said to me, "This is their classic album," I would go, "Oh dear me," I might give them a swerve overall. Then, but I'm assuming this is not the best album of their entire career. Uh, this is not the best album they've done since they reformed. Right. It is the. I would say it's the third best album at best. It's, mm-hmm. I really, really fucking like it, but <laughs> Blood of Nations and Stalingrad I played for months and months and months. Those are great records, and there's there are definitely songs from that album that I still listen to you to regularly in playlists. Uh, Too Mean to Die is is it has some songs that are close to that level, but I would say if you like the production, Andy Sneap has done everything they've done since they got back. Yeah. So if you like the production on this, you will like the production on all of the post reunion stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I would recommend Blood of the Nations and Stalingrad because I think you will enjoy them more. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't absolutely do not dislike this record at all. I think there's a few things which stylistically I'm going to never really get on board with. But um, yeah, I mean, it's a good, like, if it's quite, you know, in a, in a week where we've basically got five records and four of them I feel like are quite forward-thinking and evolutionary in the the way that they have moved the artists on a bit this does just go nah fuck you i'm gonna make a metal record and sometimes that's yeah. sometimes that's that's great you know yeah this is heavy metal capital h capital m and none mm. of your yeah. you know sicilian lemon or you know rhubarb and ginger flavors inside this is just straight up on un- uh, pure distilled heavy metal yeah i and- think and there's definitely a place for that for me for me there is a there is a corner of the room in which that is invited in definitely so and it does make me want to raise a beer and tap my foot and just puts a huge fucking smile on my face which is all yeah really i mean really imagine weird. like you arrive at bloodstock on the friday morning oh and, yes and you've had yes, a, and you, you yes. have a couple of beers and then at like four o'clock except come on yes and, for 50 and, minutes of pure metal yes, and they please. go into and they open with zombie apocalypse 
that yeah. riff and finish on balls to the wall yes that's a perfect yeah. set list fucking happy days man i would yeah. definitely watch that It'd be great um the one the one point of interest is i've already mentioned beethoven uh we are recording for anyone who's uh not familiar with the fact that you know, podcasts don't go out live um we're recording on mozart's 265th birthday and, and, uh, and what would have been Derek Akora's seventy uh, first birthday as well? I should mention. Yes, that, that's re it? less relevant to the except record because <laughs> uh, they had. I, it's possible there's a couple of them I've missed, but there's another example of classical music, uh, which is that the uh, the kind of main melody in Samson Delilah is the uh, main theme from the fourth movement of Vorjak's Symphony Number no. Nine in E Minor, commonly mm. known as New World Symphony. So it's it's there is a lot of. Um, classical kind of influence on it there's possibly a few that i've missed and i'm going to kick myself when someone puts a comment on your instagram and i'm going to oh how could i have not noticed um, i feel but, like we're on classic fm all of a sudden this is this is the most classical input we've ever had on the podcast probably and you like uh, classical music I, as well i, I, I do like some yeah 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 but um but yeah this is uh this is good classical Excellent. special i'm seeing coming up <laughs> classical and classic metal <laughs> Yeah, good. I mean, you know, I think we're kind of broadly on the same page as this, Tom. Renfrey yep. over there, hating metal as usual. <laughs> it's just he not does. for he, me. He it's, doesn't. He does. He it's doesn't. Not he doesn't. For me. I, I, no, I, I don't. I don't like this. But it's just. It's not for me. It's not for me. That's well, fair. Just, I've, I've just changed my opinion on the next record. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> Well, let's move I on. Um, let, let, let's move on and do that next one. Have you got anything else to say about it except Tom that you really feel nope, needs I, to be said? No, I, no, I think we've said everything. I completely uh, understand Rupert's position, even if I don't share it. So uh, I think let's uh, move on and we won't fall out. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, that's too mean All to die. Civilized. <laughs> too mean to die by except is out now. As is our next and final album, which comes from divide and dissolve the album's called gaslit it is the third full-length album from the australian noise drone duo coming after their 2018 abomination album um this is a duo who utilized drums that's bass, the name not the review yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh the duo utilized drums bass guitar and sax with the goal of making music which in their words is designed to decolonize and dismantle white supremacy which is obviously a very worthy goal, but it's a very odd prism in which to try and achieve it. I mean, I'd say, you know, maybe write Everlong um, about that and sell <laughs> off 50 billion copies of it rather than, you know, releasing a, a what, what is essentially a very, very difficult, difficult record, which probably the majority of people other than sort of self-important heavy metal snobs like us uh, will listen to. Um We've reviewed stuff like More Mother and Son before, and it's always been a bit of a slog for you and I, Renfrey. Um, mm. Tom, just as a sort of opening thing, drone, noise, drone, rock. Uh, it's, it, it's the kind. Of, it's the kind of thing I am massively picky about, but mm. when it's done right, I can fall in love with it and just become totally obsessed with it because it's it is that thing that it does something that nothing else can, and if you want that, you have to go to that. Mm -hmm. And you can find yourself really spending an enormous amount of time with one or two albums. So Bell Witch, Mirror Reaper. Yes, I remember you loved that shit, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, just a bit like that's you know, stuff like that where it's kind of it's very slow, it's very mesmeric, it's very noisy. I mean obviously that that was a funeral doom record rather than mm -hmm. a noise record, but it's that kind of thing. Um so yes, but if it's done wrong, it's fucking awful. 
Right. Um, how do we, you two, feel about what I just said regarding the um, music designed to decolonize and dismantle white supremacy through the prism of doom music? And then my, you know, vaguely sarcastic. Uh, yeah, I mean, I have to say, I read that and I was like, well, I think if that was your goal mm. to do that, I think that's, a, like I say, a very worthy goal, but I'm not sure that this is... So it feels like an un, a very, very unusual thing to say. Uh, an unusual medium to do it through, you mean? Definitely, yeah, yeah. Um, they describe it as their mission statement, uh, I believe, mm -hmm. in the PR. So it's certainly something that's very important to them. Um, I think there's an argument to be said that there's a lot of um, attitudes within underground extreme music corners which uh could probably do with having this kind of rhetoric told to them in this forum so rather than sort of taking on the world at large it's almost as if the members of dissolve and uh, divide and dissolve have uh picked a pocket that they could um uh try and influence and are, are trying to be big fish in a small pond i suppose in that sense mm. um so i don't and certainly when i first listened to this record i hadn't read the press notes when i first listened to this record and on paper it is not something that would normally particularly interest me as you've said steve we talked about sun and bands like that and we just don't tend to really go in for drone stuff all that much i don't think but I found this record weirdly compelling and weirdly weighty as if it was definitely about something and something important. I couldn't have guessed as it's an instrumental record predominantly. There's one sort of spoken word bit in the middle, but it's predominantly um, instrumental. I wouldn't have guessed exactly what that thing was, but I would have guessed that there was some weighty issues being explored um, when the duo thought about writing the music mm. does that make sense tom yeah um well who better to offer an opinion on um a album that's trying to break down uh colonialism and and, and various other forms of systemic racism than a white man <laughs> so um here, here we go three um uh i have a sneaking suspicion that as much as they might be a very important voice in certain areas they're not going to reach it because they've said i, I had actually before you guys uh, suggested this um i had read a piece on this that the quietest done mm. um and it i very much immediately went yes this is a quietest record this is definitely one for them um because it sounds like something that might be able to get me on board or it might get really on my nerves um and uh, my kind of overriding impression about what I thought of the mission statement was that that's definitely something that metal really needs, but they basically said we don't, they don't really want to play there, that they want to kind of, they don't really feel that they are part of that crowd because they're not, you know, paying tribute to the metal pre, uh, precursor and the metal progenitors. Um, and that, if I think they're going to end up in very arty places where this kind of message is already on is already accepted, and that I kind of wish that there was a metal band who said, "No, we're a metal band. We want to appeal to metal crowd, and this is our message." Um, I hope I'm wrong, and that they're actually going to you know get somewhere and really get across their message to people who need to hear it. 
I have a sneaking suspicion that might not happen, sadly. Yeah, I mean, I was sort of just playing devil's advocate, really, within that and saying, like, you know, why don't you write... I mean, if you if you write Gangnam Style, uh, but you write it about um, dismantling white supremacy, then more obviously that's more people are going to hear it, clearly. Um, and I but was, then there are a load of racists who love Rage Against the Machine. There are a load of... Ra- yeah, I mean, that exact, I mean, that's a really good point, is that, you know, um, it feels like an oblique and intangible i mean you mentioned renfrey you could never really have understood exactly what this record was about because of the medium in which they choose to and i think to to express themselves i think once you hear the record again like the first time i listened to it i heard it and i was like oh um and then i heard it again knowing that and i was like i guess you i guess you can certainly hear like you say that it's about something and there's a mindset that is that's been put in place um i mean will it make any kind of real societal change i think it's very difficult to uh, quite difficult to argue that most music that sets out to have any kind of societal change actually has ever or does ever make any kind of societal change there's not many um that's not a reason not to try that's absolutely no 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 i'm not saying it's definitely not a reason to try i'm just saying that like I, I guess more than you know like does it is is it, it's such an intangible thing for us to be able to know whether or not that could or does happen yeah, of course. you know how do you measure those metrics i can tell you that the reason i know about the troubles in northern ireland is because i listened to sunday bloody sunday mm. like i i can tell you that and that's something that i can go the reason i know about that is because of that the first time i ever heard the name malcolm x was on a rage against the machine record um and so I think, you know, there are times where you can go, well, yeah, I I heard about these things and I became familiar with these things because music, like, the, you know, the, the difference between this and the Stephen Wilson album, you're in absolutely no doubt whatsoever what the Stephen Wilson album is trying to convey to you. But I think this yeah. is, it's, it's vaguer, but that doesn't mean it's any less artistically worthy in any way. I mean, for what it's worth, as a record um this is something that i i think is really quite different to a lot of it feels very unique to me and Mm. you know we've said on the show a bunch of times before how difficult renfrey and i find a lot of doom music but for example the vile creature album that came out last year or at least the last couple of songs particularly when we were like this is really different and this is somebody who like two people who don't want to listen to loads of doom but i've been really kind of transfixed by this and i think that the thing that stands out here especially when you consider that vile creature album is that it was just those last two songs whereas this to me this starts feeling quite unique from the get-go almost like the first opening track of bleak has almost a sort of jordan um like a kind of um yeah jordan peele the yeah you've seen that film us mm, yeah. and it's got this kind of oblique which is the name of the song um kind of horror movie score to it there's a these... bit john carpentry and it just never relink relinquishes becoming i it never to me what i liked about it is it never becomes pure battering mm. but it also never <clears> becomes <throat> so like formless mm. that it, it loses my attention there are these weird looped saxophone kind of uh 
trills and, and, and pieces going throughout the entire song. And they're like weirdly all intermingled together. They're weirdly beautiful, even though it's very difficult to pick out a specific kind of melody. And then this almighty, like the, the guitars and the drums come in and it just sounds absolutely cacophonous as if it's trying to like break this very fragile thing. Um, and, but at the end, the drums and the guitars die away and that sort of beautiful, those sax lines are still there and it hasn't been destroyed by this thing. And I definitely got a sense of some sort of narrative through these songs like that as an example. But that was just more based on a feeling and the mood that the music created than it was anything that I could say was concrete. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if that's a huge I, I don't think that's a massive problem to me. I, this is a 34 minute drone record, which is not something that would normally appeal to me. But I found the whole of this record engaging and I found it really, really compelling and interesting. And I think it's getting really, really good critical scores all over the place, like really high scores. Metal Hammer gave it nine out of 10. I think Marianne Hobbs has played them on her show. So they're getting out to quite, quite wide reach of people. If you're going from Marianne Hobbs to Metal Hammer, um, which could suggest like a really interesting i mean we could be talking about a band who break through in the way that like death heaven did you know to a very small sort of east london kind of um hey, do you mean hipster Is hipster yeah, yeah 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 like, like i i could i can see this potentially going the way of the hipster and i don't mean that as a criticism and i don't necessarily want it to and i don't necessarily not want it to i just think there the ingredients are there for this to go in that direction i think potentially in the same way as zelanada feel like they yeah. have the ingredients to go that way yeah yeah um tom you've been fairly quiet with your actual opinion of the records so far maybe because me and renfrey have been banging on so much but mostly what, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've, been listen- I've been listening to what you're saying so i'm interested what, what what do you make of the record uh it's powerfully odd isn't it I mean, it's, it's even odd. by the stance of some of the stuff I listen to, it is strange. That's great. And I think that's partially because of those sax bits, because mm. they're really unsettling. The thing they remind me the most of, did you see the Chernobyl miniseries? Mm. No, too horrible. Okay. I didn't oh, want to watch that shit. Brilliant. I, I understand that. If you, get, if you can, see if you can find the soundtrack, because it was uh, the soundtrack was done by uh, an Icelandic composer called... Uh, Hildur Guðnadóttir. It's um, uh, it's the which is she's the sister is, of um, the guitarist from Agent Fresco. Uh, she's also worked with Sun herself. She's a mm. a, a music, musician in her own right who's done an awful lot of kind of weird, strange. I think she's a cellist, yeah. and that's why yeah. a lot of the stuff she's made when it's kind of been heavier has been sounded a bit odd. Um, and it's it's it, the soundtrack was mostly noise that but was composed, so it was it was things that were recorded and then arranged to make music and it's really kind of it's beautiful and haunting and very strange and disturbing in a kind of uh, i don't know what the hell's going on alien landscape kind of way mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. obviously very much on earth and those sax bits remind me of that in a really good way because yeah. i thought that soundtrack was absolutely astonishing and i thought what she'd done was incredible with that with that um uh, trying to set help set the the emotional scene, and that having those 
to kind of go, you're in a really unhappy place now. You're going to be taken way out of your comfort zone before the incredibly oppressive Doom kicks in, I thought was really good. Yeah. And I really like that. And I have to say, the Doom bits themselves are, I think they're completely brilliant. Mm. Really huge, burly, distorted riffs with just kind of little dissonant bits just off them, really kind of mesmeric and repetitious and droning. And, and it's very, because there's no vocals and there's nothing to kind of, to hook yourself in on, it's very easy to lose track of time and just let it play out. I mean, you say it's 34 mi minutes long, Rumfrey. I keep thinking this must be shorter mm. because mm. I, I put it on and I'm listening to it and I'm not doing anything else. I'm just paying attention to the music. And then it's over and I've got, I go, what the fuck was I doing? What have, how have I got distracted? What, no, I have got distracted. I was paying attention. It's just, it's really hypnotizing. And that's, I love that about it. And it really does, like, I'm fully on board with this. This is great. I'm so drawn into it and just kind of made to really fixate on what they're doing and just really listen properly to each little string bend. And it's quite hard to, to do that with no vocals or lyrics, mm. but mm. they manage it. I, I think it's terrific. Mm. Yeah, I, I this, you know, I don't remember liking or not even liking, but being so impressed by an album of this ilk for a very, very long time. It's really rare I think for when I, the, my, much of my problem with a lot of this music is that I think a lot of Joan bands are reluctant to step into different areas and for them to, you know, th th I go, you know, we've spoken about instrumental music before Renfrey and whether it be Oliver Arnold's or Sun, where it's like, these are, these are mood pieces. These are things that you kind of put on in the background and you let them kind of slowly permeate into your self-conscious. And that's kind mm. of how you have to approach them. But this, I don't feel like you have to kind of acclimatize to this. It's, mm. it continues to keep you on your toes and it continues to keep you fixated on what it's doing yeah. throughout its entire runtime. And I think that is really, really impressive for a record of this, genre and this ilk to do that i mean going from that cold haunting orchestral like cutting kind of crushingly heavy cutting orchestral sounds into almost like an industrial drum solo like they're not afraid to stretch that dynamic range to stretch that kind of sonic range into wildly different territories and mm. i think you know i i'm not I'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination on a lot of this stuff, but most of the things that I hear, I do go, you could utilize far more in the dynamic range and the sort of sonics that, that, that you have at your disposal with what you're doing in this medium. And you don't, and this does. And I'm, for the first time I'm hearing it and I'm like, this really feels like, like a genuine kind of landmark record in this scene from my from my fairly limited knowledge of it i wouldn't be surprised if it is at all um as i say there's just something really really compelling about this record throughout and i think dynamics do play a massive part in it i think those really weird shrill sax parts are a massive part just the fact that they are they are so fucking heavy the guitar tone oh god yes so heavy it's like the sludgy guitar tone is just out of this world you know it's so heavy um 
And it's just a, it's a really, really interesting dynamic that they've set up. And it's something that I never thought I would be particularly interested in. But I'm pretty sure I'm going to be going back to this record quite a lot this year. Yeah, mm. likewise. Yeah, I think, I think so. On, on the heaviness, I mean, I said uh, when the, one of the first things I said was that they don't seem to be wanting to necessarily be part of the metal sphere. The music is metal. They're like, there's no way around it whether they feel part of this or not, or they're paying tribute to uh, the progenitors of metal or not. This is a fucking metal record. It's so fucking heavy, and that guitar tone is just pure crushing doom. It's so heavy. And it's yeah. brilliant. I love it. Yeah, it's really good. Really, really good. And, you know, it's obviously about something incredibly important as well. And I really hope, I hope people pay attention. I do hope lots of different people, be them in metal or six music listeners or whatever, pay attention to the band. And I hope they actually do. I hope they're struck enough by how odd and how compelling it is to go and actually pay attention to what they have to say as well. Because that's obviously an incredibly important part of what makes this record. This record. Yeah, absolutely. So there you go. Uh, that is called Gaslit and it is by the band Divide and Dissolve. I think this has been a pretty fucking strong week, to Ooh, be perfectly yes. honest. Um, next week, we're going to go now. Um, next week, we're going to be talking about new releases. I, I wonder if it's going to be as strong a week next week. Weezer, Foo Fighters new food fighters of weezer m3 uh, what can go what can possibly go wrong there oh. <laughs> um thanks very much uh for listening go to signaturebrew.co.uk and put right act in the checkout if you want to get 10 percent off of your own pub and um thanks to tom for sharing this platform with us we appreciate that tom uh what have you got planned next week you've got a new co-host coming on the show i, believe. I do and i'll be i'll be introducing him on the show itself so that, you know because you won't know who he is so it'd be meaningless to do it now i'll just <laughs> to repeat myself next week That's um fine. stephen uh, stephen hill we, isn't it uh <laughs> 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 oh, come I, on <laughs> uh just don't let that don't let that uh haircut he's got uh for you <laughs> No, it w I will be talking about um, some... Actually, I might leave it a bit mysterious, except to say that uh, there will be a certain Russian theme to a certain section of the podcast. Uh, and I do mean that in the positive sense. It's not going to be a depressing kind of... De uh, we had um, Ash O'Hara, who was in Tesseract, on a few episodes ago, and he told us a pretty horrific story about being in Russia as a gay bloke, which was oh. didn't sound fun. We're not doing that again. We'll be doing something much more fun and Russian-themed. <laughs> And uh, then going for something that is, you know, very nineties, and I don't think was intended to look the way it actually looks. Fair enough. I awesome. mean, so that's you... that's intriguing. It's much more intriguing than us just going. Oh, we're doing the Foo Fighters. See you later. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but we are. We're doing I, the Foo Fighters. I promise soon. you, I won't be talking about the Foo Fighters. <laughs> oh, you lucky bastard. Anyway, yes, um, exactly. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. I uh, hope you've enjoyed the show, and we should do this again sometime, Tom. Yeah, definitely. And thank you for having me on. And uh, Hellbent for Metal listeners, we will not be out on next Friday because we don't come out on Fridays. We'll be out a week on Monday, which is the 8th of February. Awesome. Thank you, Tom. Nice. Cheers, Tom. Thank you See you later, everyone. On, no worries. Bye-bye. <laughs>